Hello, and welcome to All the Way Down, episode six. I'm Dash. This is Knox. I'm Knox. We're, we we have a topic again this time. Uh, Knox, what do you think about Amiibos? Well, I I don't know how I think about them yet because I have always stayed away from anything figure esque, like anything figure toy, anything like I I don't. I, I try not to be a collector ever since I went crazy with Pokemon cards. Anyway, I get into video game collecting now. I don't. I don't. I don't like the. Uh, I don't like the idea of collecting toys. But amiibo have functionality. So when toys are not just things with you know a look, you know that just take up space, then maybe I'm kind of interested. So maybe you can speak to what purpose amiibo serve other than just looking kind of cool. Yeah, so originally I had, like, kind of the same thought that you're saying, which is that, like, I don't have figurines, really. I have, like, a couple, you know, like, things that have come with games, like, Zelda Wind Waker HD came with a little Ganondorf. Alright, cool, there's a little Ganondorf on my entertainment center, you know? Or, like, a Fallout bobblehead, because that's pretty iconic. Very, very select few do I have of, like, figures, but I've never... I've never, like, bought a figure, you know? It's always been something that came with something, something someone gave to me, something like that, right? So, yeah, with Amiibos, I had the same thought of just, eh, yeah, I just don't do it, you know? Eh, yeah, they're figures, but I don't do figures. Where would I put them? And then I did hear that they started to, like, have functionality in games, which originally I thought was stupid because <laughs> I, I just don't... on this. In the same way that I don't really love DLC and microtransactions, it kind of feels a little bit along those lines of, like, here's something in the game that you don't need, but it's extra, and you have to pay extra, right. and you get it. Um, I, I do, like, in if you think that way, in Nintendo's defense... The things that Amiibos do are is generally pretty innocuous. Like in in Mario Odyssey, if you scan an Amiibo, it just tells you where one of the moons is. Mm -hmm. But you can also pay like a hundred coins in the game to get the same feature, you know? Uh, or like in Breath of the Wild, they can unlock outfits that I think are otherwise obtainable just through gameplay, you know? They never did anything super exclusive. Um, the only time that, like, they ever did kind of bite me with it was uh, Metroid Samus Returns on 3DS. There is a very hard mode that is only unlockable by scanning an amiibo. Oh. Uh, so that kind of sucked, right? But other than that, though, in my experience, they didn't really do anything that made me feel like I was missing out, you know? However... Super Smash Bros. I think Super Smash Bros. 4 actually had this, but I just didn't pay attention to that game because at the time I didn't think I liked Smash Bros. But now, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate has this thing in it where if you scan an amiibo that is a character that's in Smash Bros., you can have it enter a game and act as a player, and the more it fights... It levels up, and that, like, level and its, like, learning saves to the amiibo. And so over time, it, like, becomes a better fighter. Which all on its own 
sounds like okay. Like that's fun for kids, but not really for me. You know, is it? I mean, does it remove anything like skill wise, or is it a shortcut to anything? Or it's like when you are on the character select screen and you're setting up players and CPUs. Mm -hmm. There's also an amiibo player. Right? Oh, that is that like is that a character or just like a different kind of slot? It's like a different kind of slot. Oh, it's, this is news to me. I haven't played Smash, like, seriously since N64. <laughs> yeah, so you can have, like, a player, you pick their character, you have a CPU, you pick their character, mm -hmm. and then you have an amiibo. It's another player in the game that is CPU-controlled, but the character that it is is the amiibo that it is, and the more that that amiibo plays the more it levels up and becomes smarter uh and then that data saves to the amiibo itself see so, that's like, crazy because i thought i thought it was i thought amiibo were okay so i guess we should break down what amiibo are real quick so amiibo are these little plastic figures that sell for like what average like 10 to 20 dollars at a GameStop or something like that um little different characters from anything in like the nintendo universe or anything that kind of has been in the nintendo universe um and the little figures they look like little like you know they're not even really immovable as far as i know they're just figures um but in their bases, I believe they have an RFID tag. And you're saying that, okay, so for those who don't know what an RFID tag is, it's kind of like one of those security tags they put on a clothing in a clothing store for like to detect whether or not something's going out the door without having been paid for it. Uh, I guess you have more than just a, uh, uh, hey, here's a Bowser that Dash is holding right now. Um, so they're, therefore, okay, we detect Bowser in game, therefore you get these bonuses. What you're saying is it also stores data. Yes. I didn't know it had any internal storage. Yeah, it saves, like, who owns it, and then, yeah, it's oh, got wow. some internal storage to, to do some things with. So that, um, so yeah, first of all, they're just licensed official Nintendo figurines, uh, which is a huge deal. But, right, my initial reaction was, well, even though they're official Nintendo and high quality, I'm still just not a figurine guy. Same. But then, you know, I saw this Smash Bros. functionality that it has of the way that it's able to uh, stand in as a fighter in a Smash Bros. game, which, again, originally doesn't even sell me right away. Wait, was I this right. Ultimate, by the way, on Switch? Yeah, I think Smash 4 might have done this also, but I didn't play Smash 4, really. Smash 4 on... Uh, that, is that, that 3DS? On Wii U and 3DS. Wii, okay, so as far as I know, uh, Amiibo are compatible with... The beginning platform was 3DS, and then it went on to be compatible with Wii U, and now it's compatible with Switch. So they've been yeah. doing a really good job of making Amiibo pretty pretty universal in what you can do with them across all platforms. Um, and I guess that's kind of... You, you can kind of chalk that up to Nintendo being one of those companies that just has to have, like, ultimate control over everything. Um, they can get stuff like this done, where, like, they have all the IPs. They're like, hey, we're going to make a, a, a Terry, a, a Terry uh, Bogard amiibo, which is, by the way, the one that got me to go, oh, fuck. 
<laughs> um, because it's just like, yeah, we're, we're going to make a Terry Bogard. And, uh, you, have, you know, it's going to be, I, I guess it's, it's got to do some badass shit in the Smash version I, that, it can, that can accept Amiibo. I don't know. Yeah, for the same reason that Smash Bros. is a wonderful series that only Nintendo is really able to put mm-hmm. together, for the same reason Nintendo is also kind of the perfect company to license out a bunch of figurines, you know? Yeah. So, what I'm getting at, though, is that, like, this functionality in Smash wouldn't immediately appeal to me, because, like, I don't know, if I was a kid, and I had an amiibo that I got attached to, you know, and then I could play a whole bunch of Smash and level it up, go to my friend's house and fight our amiibos, you know, (laughs) uh, like, that sounds... That you know, if I were as a kid, that's fine. But nowadays, I would never really do that. However, then here's the turning point for me. Uh, there is a man by the name of Dan Reichert. Do you know who this man is? I know Riker from Star Trek and nothing else. So Dan Reichert is uh, he he used to write for Game Informer. Then he oh. went on. Uh, then he went to Giant Bomb, and he was on Giant Bomb for a good while. Uh, he's done some other stuff around the game industry in his life. He got married at a Taco Bell. Oh um, hell yeah! <laughs> and uh, I think he runs like the WWE podcast now, or something. Holy shit! Or something. Uh, so here's the deal, though. So he has a Twitch channel which I would recommend, twitch.tv slash Dan Reichert, and he came up with, okay, have you also heard of uh, Salty Bet? Uh, yes. Isn't that like a Reddit thing, Salty Bets? Uh, well, I think it's a Twitch thing as far as I know. It might, it's probably, it's probably got some Reddit stuff. Uh, so what Salty Bet is, is it's this, uh, perpetually moving, like fight it so there's a fighting game called Mugen, right? Where Mugen, you can yep. put in all kinds of custom characters. And Salty Bet is this like tw- I, it, it, some of these details might be wrong, but here's the gist of it. It's like a 24/7 AI controlled stream <laughs> where they put together random uh, fighting game characters against each other and the people watching bet on who they think is going to win. What just just for clout, right? Yeah. So Dan Reichert took kind of the idea of Salty Bet and he started doing it with amiibo characters in Smash Bros. And being someone so so first of all, it's okay, so we've got you know, I here's my Banjo Kazooie and my hero from Dragon Quest amiibos. We're going to scan these into Smash Bros and they're going to fight each other and people bet on who's going to win using, you know, channel points on Twitch. And suddenly I think that this is the greatest idea I've ever <laughs> seen and it's the most exciting, intriguing, wonderful thing. Wait a minute, wait because- a minute, wait, wait, wait. Why is that so appealing? Why why is the fact that he was uh, saying, okay, use your channel point redemptions to pick an amiibo and then they'll be thrown... As far as I understand, they'll be thrown into the Mugen match. Yeah. And then we'll so, see who wins. And is, 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 this goes through Twitch uh, uh, salty bets or his channel? Uh, j- just his channel. You okay, know, like okay. cha- You just bet the... Uh, so Twitch has predictions now 
where yes. the streamer can set up like a a question like who do you think will win this uh, you're able to do this like officially through Twitch without having to download any kind of add-ons or anything um, you can just pose a, a prediction right like a question that has two possible outcomes viewers are able to bet their channel points which they accumulate over time by watching your stream they're able to bet their channel points on which outcome they think is going to happen and then whatever happens you know the streamer or a moderator you know sets that that's the correct option that was the outcome and then all of the points that were put into this prediction get pooled out to the people who picked the right answer um so yeah so uh so the reason that it's so great with amiibos and smash bros is that uh, so the the way that i always thought about this like level up your amiibos thing before was that like you were gonna fight with them with them on your team right and i was like eh, whatever right but the idea of pitting two ais against each other for some reason has always been a lot more interesting to me I, I've always <laughs> loved watching AIs fight each other. Really? Yeah. A lot of the time, like, a lot of it, I think, has to do with, like, infighting in Doom, you know? Like, getting the demons to fight each other in Doom was always, like, one of my favorite mechanics in the game. Um, and then other things, too, you know, things infight in Diablo sometimes, and I love that. Uh, or, or just, like, um, in, like, Bloodborne or something, when you see... A lot of the time, like especially when they're they're uh, characters that are sort of designed to fight a player, but you're putting them against each other. I don't know. I've always just thought that that was a little bit interesting. But here's the real kicker, though, is that with something like Salty Bet, or if you were to do it with Smash Bros. without Amiibos, and you just said, okay, we're going to put on two highest level CPUs, and they're going to be random characters, or they're going to be this character versus that character bet on it people it's still just two at that point it's only two ais fighting each other you know which is still okay but when you introduce amiibos it's no longer just an instance of a cpu and it's now attached to a physical object so you're no longer just betting on player one you're betting that this amiibo is going to win. And every time that this character on this amiibo fights, it's like it's the same character now. It's like it's the same player instead of just the CPU is this character. Do you know what I mean? Do you know the, do you understand the I, distinction I'm making? I, uh, yes and no. I, I think I get what you're saying, but I still completely fail to see how it's any different other than the fact that you have weight and mass and plastic and dye in your hand. Yeah, it makes it so that if you see Link once and then you see him again, it's not just we picked Link on the character select screen again. It's this is the Link and it's him again. Now, you know okay, what I mean? So Every okay, we, we we talked about this just a minute ago, but the RFID technology in an amiibo we now know can hold data. So yes, it is that link. But does that mean like well does does that link level up in any way? Does that link actually like does he remember winning? Like what's what's going on there? What makes what makes the plastic mm -hmm. RFID chip uh, 
enough of an identity. So, firstly, I would like to say that if they didn't level up and if they didn't get smarter, I still think that it's more attaching when they when it's a physical object that is the character, you know? But yes, they do level up and they do get like smarter as they fight. Interesting. Um so yeah, that is part of it as well and that's part of what makes like this idea of How do they level up? Uh it's just as they as one of them is in a fight, it just says it leveled up, right? And then once, like, once you back out of the game mode in the game, then it makes you scan all the amiibos again so that it can write the data back into them, you know? That's tedious, but cool. Yeah. It's a little tedious, but cool. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um... Now, there's one more element to what makes the, like, Dan's production particularly exciting. And that's, I mentioned that he's, like, the WWE podcast guy now, so he's a wrestling guy. Oh. Take everything that I just said and now add in like stupid bullshit pro wrestling gimmicks and antics. To <laughs> yes. It. Okay. You now know? it got way better. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, he he commentates. Like, he announces it. Right. Yeah. You commentate. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You commentate it, but then also like you start to give angles to it <laughs> and like and and like talk about the different. Like, have story arcs and that kind oh, of yeah. thing. Perfect. You have certain characters, like, backstage beat up other characters so that then when they <laughs> fight, you put the damage handicap on one character because they're beat up. And then Link brings out the office chair. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or like, the fold out chair. <laughs> and now that angle makes it so good. And, like, on his stream specifically, he, uh, he even does stuff like, um, if they do terribly, he throws them in Amiibo Jail, right? Which is his mini-fridge. Uh, so there's right. a whole bunch of Amiibos that are in jail, and it's like a big deal when they get broken out or come out or that kind of thing. His mini-fridge? Um, oh, yeah. And then... Uh, Actively or like, being chilled. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then... Or for a long time, Little Mac was stuck in, like, I don't remember what it was. It was, like, a it, not quite a Happy Meal box, but something <laughs> like that, you know? He was, like, trapped in there for weeks, you know? And then it was a big deal when it was revealed that he was coming out. And when he opened the box, the Little Mac was actually, like, like chained up with safety pins uh, yeah. to the sides of it. Like, he's so good at the dumb wrestling angles Okay, and so let, let, let me stop you here, because this is where I come in on agreeing with you um i didn't understand any of this like the appeal to it at all as you were describing it um because i i come at it from thinking about uh fighting games when i look at two computers fighting each other like say like on the arcade preview screen where it just does the the the, the demo reel of gameplay you know to entice you to come by and drop a quarter in i am bored out of my mind whenever i have to fight a cpu i hate it because i know it's reading my inputs and whenever i try to execute a special or anything it it, it just knows to beat me there as soon as right before it happens um the art of playing single player fighting games is totally different from playing actual fighting games with other people but anyway aside whenever i see like any just kind of just cpu versus cpu combat it's like this is just a fancy num this is just a fancy rng like i could roll a die and 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 try to hope i'm going to get a certain outcome and get the same exact uh serotonin rush i i guess um it wasn't until 
you took all of it because like all of this is kind of like it's only interesting when it's manipulated. It's like this is a, this is a this it's like a puppet, and you're the marionette here. The only thing that makes it interesting is how you change the elements to make the two different subjects going at each other uh, appealing to me. Because, because like I said, it, otherwise it's just a fancy RNG game. But when you said it, the second you said it brings to life like a real physical thing. Um, and that's where you thought it got cool. I didn't really think it was cool, but I did think there was a lot of opened up possibilities now for stuff like what you can do with like say Warhammer 40 K tabletop. There's the way that that game works is like, you can, you can play that game on a coffee table. It doesn't have to be like some super intricate model painted field with trees and buildings and such. It, it, you can play it on a coffee table and the obstacle, the obstacle can be a keyboard and a coffee cup and, and a screwdriver, you know, uh, they'll count as cover based on the height that they are based on whether or not they can be shot at that sort of thing. And I was like, Oh shit. So you could kind of take I mean, I don't know how you'd execute that with with this salty bets and 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 like you know watching Smash Bros go at it, um, but like you could still do something more interesting and bring that that specific part of it to the stream and make it super entertaining. I I can see that for sure. Yeah. So so I've been watching Dan do this, uh, and and he calls it Smashy Bet. I would recommend looking it up. Um, well, I mean, just. Uh, yeah, and uh, so, but the thing is, like, I'm I'm getting so excited watching him do this that I'm like, I gotta get into this. I got I like, cause I the only thing, my only like criticism of the way that he does it is I I I think he's a little too laid back on the commentary, but I think that might just be me where I. I think it's so great of an idea that, like, I'm getting way too fired up when I'm watching it, you know, that I just want to be commentating it, you know? So I I had a few Amiibos already, just, like, in odds and ends. Like, I got I had a Peach, right? Because I got to have a Peach. Um, so, like, I had a couple, you know? Uh, so I, I did a little stream myself of just kind of the same idea of putting them against each other in Smash Bros, but with my very fired up style of commentary, you know? Uh, and it was so much fun that, uh, that now I'm like, now I, I've gone back on what I was saying before, where it's like, I, I'm enjoying this aspect of the usability of Amiibos so much that now I'm looking back on the I don't care about figurines uh, uh, thinking that I had before and thinking, I was nuts. They're Nintendo figurines. Like, I fucking love Nintendo's art styles and characters and, uh, and, and shit. <laughs> so, like, the idea of having, like, a Bowser figure and a Mario figure and stuff, you know, they're pretty little. I love it now. Uh, so, like, now I want to have a shitload of them just because I really like how they look and because I've kind of discovered this, uh, this use for them. Um, but yeah, mainly it's just a thing of, like, of, like, they're officially licensed Nintendo figures of Nintendo 
things, like, it's a no-brainer, and I'm actually kind of, like, shocked that I wasn't into it sooner, because I, I, it just seems like something I'd love. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of, the fact that I don't, the fact that I didn't know that there was functionality to them, aside from their just, you know, obviously cosmetic appeal was kind of what kept me away but also the fact that it was really during a time in gaming that i was pretty tuned out and the only gaming i did was first person shooters on pc um like the 3ds i never owned a 3ds i never owned a wii u until like very recently um and i still don't technically own a switch but the switch stuff that i do i don't use amiibo stuff with anything because Spoiler alert, I don't own any Amiibo. Um, but I was very, very close to uh, to buying one the day that I went to a GameStop that was supposedly shutting down the next week, and they were kind of trying to do their their uh, going-out-of-business sale, which, <laughs> another spoiler alert, any GameStop you ever go to, no matter how many gigantic flags it's covering in saying liquidation sale, um, there's pretty much not a sale going on at all. They just want to. They just want you in there. They're still going to overcharge oh, yeah. you out the ass. Um, yeah, yeah, anything they don't sell is just going to get shipped to the nearest store. The, it, the nearest right? yeah. other GameStop. Yeah, like you're truly going out of business. Fuck off. Yeah. I was I was <laughs> mad leaving that place, but um, <laughs> I I saw the first amiibo that I said, oh no, I think I might be getting into figurines now. And it was because I knew Amiibo did something other than just be a figure, but I didn't know exactly what it was or how it worked. Um, I just knew I didn't really have those kind of consoles, so I, did, I didn't pay attention to it. But either way, I'm sitting here staring down the box of a Simon Belmont figure. So I said, fuck, this is right like fresh after I beat Castlevania 2 and I'm working on Castlevania 3 at this point and I'm like, fuck Trevor, man, I miss Simon, this sucks. Because <laughs> Castlevania 3 is so fucking hard, but rewarding. Recommend it if you like a challenge. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was like, man, I got a, I got a Castlevania shirt. Now I need a Castlevania, I, like Amoeba, like a figure just to sit on my monitor or something. Um, so I... At that point, I was able to go, nah, fuck GameStop for the time being, and then I just left um, because there wasn't a sale. It was still the same full price, um, and I, I had no way to use it. So I said, nah, fuck it. Now, <laughs> the other day, um, my buddy in my Discord uh, shows off all, like, the he's got a fuck ton of Amiibo, and I was like, damn, I never really used to be into those. And he's like... It's like, yeah, and then I started collecting a few, and then I got really into them, and I was like, oh, shit, well, that's right, because they're not, they're not just form, they're also function, and that's kind of what drew me into it, and the fact that I'm just now kind of getting super into King of Fighters, Fatal Fury, all these SNK titles, um, and it happens to be at the same time that SNK did a deal with Nintendo and whatnot to get Terry Bogard into Super Smash Brothers, uh, there's now a, the Terry Bogard Amiibo. And I saw that, and that was my second time going, oh, fuck. So yeah. I think there may be one last straw to break before I break down and buy one. But I, if I'm going to buy one now, it's a coin toss between Terry Bogard and, and Simon. They have Richter Belmont. I like Richter, but I don't have a connection to Richter because I haven't played a game that he's in yet. But yeah, yeah. Th there's three right off the bat that I know that I want. Yeah, so like... 
I, I had that a few times in, in my time of not being into them. Uh, you know, I bought, I had a peach, you know, I had a boo, uh, I had Callie and Marie from Splatoon and, uh, hmm. and Yarn Yoshi. I kept them all in the boxes Yarn Yoshi? though. Yeah. Um, Is that like a, a special edition Yoshi? Yeah. It's like, uh, he's like woolly because of the Yoshi's woolly world game. Oh. Where he's like all yarny. Is that on Wii? I think I have that. I think it's a, I think it was a. I want to nope. say it was originally a Wii U game. Never mind, I'm thinking Kirby's Epic Yarn. Yeah. So I had a few, right? And then basically it was like, okay, so I want to do I want to do a stream where we're going to fight them against each other in Smash Bros, but I need I need like a few more to have a substantial amount of fights to do, you know? Uh so I ran to Target and then to GameStop and then to Walmart, but Walmart didn't have any. Um, and, and assembled 10 to start with, right? 10 Smash Bros ones. Smash Bros, not as Specifically characters that are in Smash Bros. Exactly. Uh, started out with 10, right? Did that show on Sunday. Now, I looked on Craigslist, and it was, like, the best timing possible because, uh... Someone was like selling all their old amiibos, and they were like a good price, and there were a lot of them, and I didn't have any of them. And now, let's just say within the span of, you know, it, it's been two days since Sunday when I bought those first few, I have over 50 now. Jeez. So, uh... <laughs> And there's, there's like 100 or 283. I looked at this up the other day. It was like 283 total. Yeah. Now, but, I'm very much, personally, I'm very much not the collect them all kind of person. And okay. I, That's good. Uh, especially because, like, when you go into just how many are there, there's Mario, right? But then there's pixely Mario. And then there's pixely Mario with classic colors. And then there's a silver Mario. And oh. then there's wedding outfit Mario. And then wait, wait, wait. Silver Mario? Mario. Is Silver yeah, Mario kinda, not Metal Mario? It's kind of dumb. It's like Mario, but he's just painted silver. Maybe because he's like Metal Mario, but I don't mm. think it was Metal Mario specifically, but I'm not sure because I didn't get it in the box. That's a Smash Bros. character, isn't it? Metal Mario? Yeah, Metal well, Mario is in one uh, of them at least. Well, Mario is in Smash Bros., of course, and then there is an item that can make any character metal like Mario Metal, Metal yeah, Mario. Yeah, it's just that Metal Mario was... I, he wasn't playable in the first game, but he was, like, one of the sub-bosses. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, right, I think there's an item in the game that turns you, whoever you are, metal yeah. for a short amount of time. It's probably the equalizer to offer that as a, like, throwback. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like, Smash Bros. has all kinds of items that are from all kinds of games, you know? Yeah. You got, like, Mr. Saturn from Earthbound, or the Warp Stars from Kirby, you know? It's um, nuts. Yeah. It's it's another reason that Smash Bros. is just a freaking genius game that, like, no one... Again, n we were talking about this with PlayStation All-Stars in Episode 1, I think. No other company can pull it off like Nintendo can because of their history of not just... Lots of games, or lots, or even just lots of good games, but good games that have like really well and well designed and like uh, uh, what's memorable the word? characters, memorable, diverse characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
that also have like games that have you know, I don't know lots of memorable objects or things in them that can also be implemented in the game. And that's before you even get into assist trophies, which are all like the C-list characters that that uh, that can't make it into the game, but they want to still the only them, way you know? we can get Waluigi, right? Exactly. And yeah. let's just as a quick aside, real quick, Nintendo knows what they're doing with their oh, characters. They do. Yeah. Waluigi cannot be a Smash Bros. character because, like, it would just ruin it. Like, Walu I love Waluigi, all right? <laughs> I love Waluigi. And part of my love for Waluigi and yours, whether you realize it or not, is that he's not in Smash Bros. Part of his character is getting the short end of the stick and just being a spiteful, hateful bastard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's his character, and uh, and and so I. It's like it's important that he like doesn't get to be in Smash Bros. Except it's, he is an assist trophy. His character arc is that he he uh, no longer is relevant when he's added <laughs> to Smash. Like it's true. Well, yeah. Like exactly. Like that's that's like what would happen. Uh, but, however, I cannot say the same for Gino. Gino should be in Smash Bros. That's all I got for... Wait, that, who's Gino? I, uh, he's from Mario RPG. He's been, mm -hmm. like, a long-requested character, but I think, like, Square might actually own him. Uh, oh, maybe. okay. And so there might be, like, some weird issues in actually getting him in the game. Like, maybe Square doesn't want to. Uh, Side note, because... there is a uh, gold Mario, too. Ah, yeah, Okay. There you go. So, oh, yeah, right. So back to, like, what you were saying. Right. When you say, like, oh, there's 200-some. Well, I don't know. In my opinion. Yeah. It, so it's there's a... also cards. There, it comes in different forms. I, a few of them are technically just amiibo cards, and I think the other ones are it's some other bullshit. Okay. It's not I, necessarily I, little figures. Yeah, I have no idea what the cards are. I don't either, and I don't have a whole lot of interest, but that's kind of how it starts when you miss out on stuff, isn't it? You don't have a whole lot of interest, so maybe I should look into the cards. Right. I'm right. Like, talk to me again in a couple months, and we'll see how I feel about owning every single different Mario. All right. Yeah, see, I I don't I, – I want – god damn it. I want Amiibo, but, like, the last time I was into figures – was when I was a kid, and uh, it was either Hasbro or Mattel. Mattel sold these, like, two or three packs of just little Pokemon plastic, you know, figures. Not not even figures, just, just I don't even, what would you call them? Just minis. Just Pokemon figurines? minis. Figurines? Figurines, sure, yeah, yeah. And then, like, a little plastic spring-loaded Pokeball that closed, like, a hatch. Uh, and then it came with like oh, yeah. little, uh, little, little like pogs, like little info pogs of the Pokemon that are, that came in that. And just plastic wrapped in, in the front, and then you know cardboard on the back, straight up just like classic figurines. I I still actually own one sealed. It's all fucked up on outside though, but uh, it's I had a whole bunch of those, and I like I was I because I, I fucking loved Pokemon as a kid. That on top of my TV like hutch. It was like a thing that I had my CRT TV put into. It was on top. I had like a Pokemon shrine, just like the 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 three gigantic print cards with like an army of these like little minis. And you know what? It's cool as a kid having it. 
as an adult, I just look there and it's like there's it's it's just a jumbled mess of garbage. That's all I actually see is a jumbled mess of garbage that's just taking up space and like it's not aesthetically pleasing, is I guess what yeah. I'm trying to say. So I totally like, understand that, yeah. Getting all the amiibo is gonna be uh just like that for me, which brings me to my next thing. Mm-hmm. So amiibo are obviously going to be a collectible kind of thing. Uh, one of the things, and, and I, when I think of myself, if I if I become an amiibo collector, the, the the only thing that comes to my mind is is the 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 fat nerd with the ponytail and the glasses and the bad acne and the bad teeth character from Powerpuff Girls who wanted to collect every piece of Powerpuff Girls uh, memorabilia and then in, eventually including the Powerpuff Girls, he wanted to own everything, and it's like that's what comes to my mind because in that particular episode. He was super pissed about one of the girls playing around in his collection, I think, and opening the box. Now, I noticed when you were opening them on stream, uh, when I was watching your VOD a little bit ago, um, you just opened it willy-nilly, and I was like, huh, I feel like a collector would probably be mad about that. Not right now, because they're still commercially available at their normal cheap price, which I'm sure is bound to go up. Um, But... Do they work? Do the RFID chips work if you never take them out of the things, out of the boxes? So one thing I noticed is that the when you take the Amiibo out of the box, uh, underneath it there's this little, like, metallic disc that mm-hmm. it is sitting on in the thing. I'm, I, I haven't tested it, but I'm pretty... D sure, that's probably Fuck. there to block the NFC communication. Fuck, that's exactly what that is. That's a little yeah. IR shield. Yeah. Damn it. That's stupid. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's kind of my thing about that is um, I kept mine sealed just because I didn't care about their functionality in any other game, so I never bothered to take them out of the package. I am not really someone who cares about or thinks people should keep things sealed. I don't really care about things being sealed. I'm going to recoil exactly uh, exactly what I just said. Recoil on it because the instant I thought about it, I realized, damn, I just thought with the mindset of someone who I don't like or, or the kind of person <laughs> I don't like. My instant right. thought was, oh, no, you just ruined the value. And, and Nintendo's going here like, fuck you. If you want to use it, you're going to you're gonna make the market cheap later on whether you not whether you like it or not fuck you oh yeah like i don't love the idea of buying things just to not use them i you know exactly and that's why Be- i'm not a figure person because <laughs> well cause, right buying things to not use them it's like you're just buying stock you know it's like you're treating this like art and something that somebody could be enjoying as just stock and by putting it on your shelf and never using it, it never gets used, and all that does is increase its value. And you know, I'm or I'm you not lose gonna, it, or you have I'm a not... rainstorm one day and your roof collapses, and then you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I'm not, I, I don't like hate people that do that or anything like that. Oh, yeah, but I'm just saying it's not my thing. So when I buy things, you know, I I generally open them and I use them, and if things get valuable. I care, like, when things get more valuable, uh, unsealed, like just having a complete op- or a complete inbox thing of something, right? Awesome. I love the idea of, like, some of my games are worth a bunch of money. 
uh, you know. But like, just because they're sealed, that's not the part I'm into. Agreed, fully. That's why I don't buy sealed games. A, because I'm poor and I'm not a maniac. Uh, and B, because well, you know, it's pretty much just A. I feel like if I if I had another reason, I'd just be lying. I'm I'm just I'm just poor. You know, it's like if I can't, if I, if I had like two billion dollars, you know, just in my hand, of course I would want a complete sealed, closed in box Sega Saturn collection. What are you, are you kidding me? No, of course. But when it comes to Amiibo. I I know they're going to be worth something someday. I just don't want to buy them just because they're going to be worth something someday. I hate that mindset. I I do wonder, like, I'm sure there will be a difference, but I do wonder how much difference there is in the value of sealed versus unsealed Amiibos. Because, like, you can wipe them, you know? It's not like their data... Mm. Yeah, it's not like their data is written for good. If you find one on the street, you can just wipe it and it's like new. You know, as far as the data on it goes. So then as far as the thing itself, you know, as long as the condition stays good, it should be fine. I'm sure they'll be worth more in box, but I don't know. Now I question, actually. Uh, It's internal storage. Uh, Nintendo being Nintendo, I assume it's not an open source platform like an SD card. That's that's not Nintendo style. Uh, So I assume the memory is probably soldered on board and... That means if data is corrupted or any kind of file is corrupted, then you could potentially have a bricked amiibo and then it's just a figure. And how do you test for that on places like eBay if you're trying to be a collector later on, you know? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I suppose so. I never considered that, but yeah. I, What's the shelf perhaps. life of an amiibo's memory, you know? Oh, yeah, Stuff yeah. to consider. Yeah, I don't know. Not sure. But, uh, you know, the big box that I bought today, I, you know, tested them all, and uh, they were all good. (laughs) That's good. I tell you what, though, I bet you anything sealed in box is going to be worth a fuck ton more than just open. Yeah. And, and, no, no, I'm not trying to dissuade you from opening them because I think you should. Um, Mm. I'm just saying, thinking about it from a tech standpoint a if it's sealed in box you know it hasn't been dicked with it's got a little metal shield on the bottom so like even in extreme magnetic interference situations it's probably protected it's probably people you know it's like it's like the difference in uh loose games versus new in box games for stuff like super nintendo n64 stuff like that because everyone threw away those cardboard boxes Amiibo boxes are way bigger than the little figures uh, that they hold. So people probably would buy them not only to use them, obviously, but just to save some fucking space. So mm-hmm. I I imagine the the Amiibo market is probably going to be nuts in a little while. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, there you go. So I went from, I don't do figurines, to like, oh, hey, they actually do something that's kind of cool, to all of a sudden, wait a second, what the hell was I thinking I don't like? figurines these are nintendo figurines i'm Wait a minute. crazy these are microchipped uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's mario an inkling girl well what was i thinking so uh so yeah that's my little amiibo story and you know i i encourage you to get your simon get your terry um and also like one last thing to say about it i guess is as far as the space that they do take up i mean the thing is i i don't really see myself getting like a curio cabinet or anything you know like uh they might they might end up going in a drawer when i'm not uh <laughs> when i'm not playing with my dolls i might put them in a drawer i'm not sure <laughs> um 
But we'll see. I don't know. They don't take up a lot of space, and they're not very tall, so I could just, like, line them up under my TV, you know, and the TV stand is high enough where they would just sit right there just fine. So they're not they're not too big, you know. Some people like getting those, like, anime girl figures that are, like, 8 inches or 14 inches tall. I don't know where the hell I'd put one of those. Inside a jar, uh, probably. Uh, you know. I do, uh, you, you know what? I do have one figure. Well, I was just going to say, before, like, when I was talking about all that time of me, like, not being into figures or figurines and that kind of thing, and, and resisting the urge on a couple of them, I did buy one figure a long time ago, and it's a King Diamond figure. Oh, okay. I'll <laughs> excuse so, that. Hell yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's, like, eight inches tall, and it's him, like, with a lantern up there, you know, with, oh, his, like, yeah. with his, like, crossbones mic in his other hand. It's, mm, it's, it's mm. great. So, Mortal Kombat 9 for PS3. It uh, has King Diamond as a playable character? Would you be surprised if I said yes? Uh, oh, very. Because, like, it wouldn't be far off. They have, like, Alien, Predator, Freddy Krueger. They got... they. Honestly, I'm just waiting for... <laughs> I'm waiting for... Uh, <sighs> damn it. Uh, Paul... It's not Paul Stanley. Is it Dude from Kiss? Uh, Peter Chris? Peter Chris. I think I, pa- Paul Stanley sounds like a. I know Paul Stanley is a musician. I don't know. <laughs> he's a musician. He, so he probably he does is. make music. Yes. Okay. So yeah, pro- I wouldn't imagine he, he'd be too like one of the members of Kiss being a member or like a Mortal Kombat character at some point because they just they, they they've been having fun with their guest characters. But Mortal Kombat yeah. Nine is the only game I have ever purchased a collector's edition for, um, for exactly this reason. There came figures with this particular bundle um, in the form of bookends. The bookends, yes. And it's a badass like scene of just imagine that there's a wall and you know you have your your books in between the bookends, and Scorpion is throwing his spear through the wall, and on the other side you have Sub Zero above the ground with a spear coming out of his chest being obviously shot through the back and he's being yanked against the fucking wall after being you know fucking yanked from the from from the scorpion spear and he's just slamming into the wall with his arms up and like there's just this really cool scene and they hold my books up. It's fucking badass. Yeah, yeah. That it's like is Scorpion why... is like he's shooting his thing through all of your books and uh-huh. in the Scorp- yeah. Sub Zero on the other side. It's fucking. It's the tits, dude. I I love those bookends, and I'm so mad because like one day I think my cat knocked it off the shelf and the spear broke off of Sub Zero's chest, so I had to super glue it back in place. But yeah, I'm still pretty happy about it. They they hold books pretty well. I did. I also have a figure of uh, Knight from Dark Souls 2 that came with the special edition of that game. Mm. But uh, Magic, my cat, he's kind of like, he kind of chewed up the tips of the swords a little bit. But, uh, oh, I wanted to say about those bookends. All right, excellent description, but why did you specify that Sub-Zero was above ground? Well... Obviously, they're both above ground, but he is <laughs> in the air. So it is implied oh, that the spear like caught it. It is, well, not suspended, but like, he, okay, it has the appearance of he was either uh, fucking stabbed in the air as he jumped or he was on the ground and the subsequent yank backward was probably a 
pretty forceful enough to yank him off his feet, and therefore he's like slamming okay, into it. Okay, yeah. gotcha. I thought you meant like he wasn't underground, and I was very confused why <laughs> yeah, that a, needed to be stated. <laughs> there's a very complex underground component to these bookends. It's very annoying it to fix on my shelves <laughs> on the sh- on the bookshelf. You have to cut a All hole right. in everything. So yeah, there's there's figures and figurines. Oh, on the King Diamond talk, he what? A King Diamond has been in a video game. Do you know which one? Probably Bird of Legend. He was in uh, Guitar Hero Metallica. Okay, that makes more sense too. Yeah, yeah. There is one Merciful Fate song in that game, and uh, they made a in-game modeled King Diamond to sing the King Diamond part when you play that song, which That's uh, good. is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Love that King Diamond played Dr. Roxo, the rock and roll clown from from Metalocalypse. <laughs> uh, he didn't play the rock and roll clown, did he? Uh, per- pretty sure it was him. Who I remember King Diamond playing on Metalocalypse was the fast food manager. There's the episode where Nathan Explosion has the dream that he's working fast food, you know? And uh, something happens with a deep fryer or something, and then the manager says something oh. like, he's such an idiot, he can't even, can hardly function, or something like that. That's King Diamond. <laughs> yeah, you're right, actually. I'm looking this up, and it says Tommy Blancha, or or, or Blacha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who was I thinking? There was, and there was actually, there was a couple characters, I thought, that were voiced uh, by, or by Dr. Roxo. Because when he sings, it's Brendan Small. Dr. Yeah, Roxo sings? I don't even remember that. Nah, yeah, I don't either. It might have yeah, been in a you're season right. later. He, he probably has a song, and you're right that it's probably Brendan Small doing it. Um, but yeah, yeah. That that show has had a lot of good uh, good voice performances. I think, I want to say Mike Patton was in it at some points. Um, I know, uh, well, hang on. I know Nathan Explosion is based off of Corpse Grinder. George He's Fisher. based off of him, yeah. He's not voiced by him, but I think I think uh, there was one song that Nathan Explosion sang where I think Corpse Grinder actually did some kind of work with. Okay. I want to uh, say there was that. Yeah. Uh, each of the... Uh, I think a few of the Metalocalypse characters are, are based on real people. Because, yeah, Nathan Explosion is based on Corpse Grinder. I know Pickles is based on... Someone who I can't remember, but if you look up the guy, you're like, oh yeah, that's Pickles. Oh, okay. So I don't think he's done anything with uh, George Fisher. That is, um, but he Brendan Small is like, yeah, it's basically a, Nathan Explosion is based off of him and Peter Steele. Put you together. know, I speaking of George Fisher, I you know I haven't really listened to very much Cannibal Corpse, um, but I did hear uh, recently he was in an Igor song. And I heard this Igor song, and I was like, "Holy shit, dude! His vocals are are awesome." Like, I haven't even heard of Igor as a band. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's like I G O R, but it's like I G O R R R R or something oh, like that. Okay. Uh, they're pretty weird. I, you know, they're not like just straight up death metal. They're they're weird. Uh, I but like with, weird. But with like metal stuff, and it, it's very they're pretty great from what I've heard. They have one song with George Fisher in it, and his vocals sound fucking amazing on it. So maybe I should listen to more Cannibal Corpse because it turns out that guy's awesome. Oh yeah, uh, he's he's absolutely the best vocalist they've ever had. I, I I'm not a big uh, damn it. I names are the worst for me whenever I need to recall them. Uh, the dude who started was it 
three inches of blood or something or six feet under i had one of those number bands the the guy who does hammer smash face that song um who's not you know nathan explosion i i wasn't aware that cannibal corpse ever had a different singer uh, chris barnes yeah that's he's the early he's the iconic early uh death metal singer i mean honestly like death metal is like he's hugely responsible like cannibal corpse is hugely responsible for it like they were in uh what was the ace ventura there was they were in an ace ventura movie because jim carrey is actually a fan of cannibal corpse oh Um, nice yeah so it was pretty cool they were but i think that might have been the chris barnes era not when corpse grinder started but it if you're going to listen to some really good corpse grinder uh i don't know that they're in my weird hot take opinion about cannibal corpse I don't think there's a better album than Torture. Okay. Well, I'll, I will take that into consideration. Yeah. Next um, time I'm next time I'm looking for some new metal. The one that the one that came after that a skeletal do, a skeletal domain eh. not 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 as strong by comparison, but not awful either. But yeah, give it a shot. Nice. Also, um, shit. There was one Camel recommended. It was uh, damn it. Just listen to just listen to, to torture. It'll be great. Um, sure. But back to figures. I do yeah. have one more figure that I forgot about that I bought, and this is how insignificant to purchase it was for me. I don't know what the character is called. I it was just it just looked cool. He's this big fucking uh, night elf druid character guy from World of Warcraft. Um, he's broken. I. I, I would show him if I knew where he was right now, but I've never been a fan of him after I made that purchase. He'd just been sticking around my room, and he'd get, he breaks when I drop him, and it's just like, I fucking hate figures, man. Why did I buy this? At one point that- in my life, I might have been able to guess who it was based on that description, but mm. it's been a long time. <laughs> he has this cool staff. Um, He has this cool staff that is at the top of it. It's a horse's head. And the horse's head has deer antlers. Um, mm-hmm. And the bottom of the staff is a big cloven hoof. Pretty cool. Um, big brown leathery bear dude with green hair, purple skin, night elf. You know, World of Warcraft stuff. And I, but speaking I, of World of Warcraft, Corpse Grinder, if you didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big fan. Not of night elves, though. He's a big horde guy. Which oh, I yeah, yeah. There's a... Sorry, I I heard a, an interview with him once where um there, there was an interview once where there where someone is saying like oh y- your lyrics are very very violent uh but uh, is it true that like it's something oh it was the Wikipedia factor fiction about him where on his Wikipedia page it says something about how he doesn't actually like wish violence and and hurt on other people when he writes his lyrics right and on this uh interview about his wikipedia page they asked him yeah. about that and he said yeah you know it's true i never really want you know i don't want to hurt anybody but when we sing and he names like one specific cannibal corpse song that i can't remember but it's some violent cannibal corpse song he says when i when i sing that song i'm thinking about the alliance <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of campy and goofy like that he probably just said that because it's an interview oh but, yeah yeah for know. sure also i honestly if i was as big as he was i'd be like you know fucking hey blizzard you want to you want to sponsor me huh <laughs> oh yeah but i mean oh, world of warcraft god what a what a game i i wasted 2 years of my life and i got out lucky by comparison to some people some people have been playing that shit since launch like they're still playing it yeah and i 
I started at launch, uh, or a little, oh, really? you know, okay. a little bit after, um, before Burning Crusade, right? I, I started in in 2004 uh, and played through, like, Cataclysm, kind of on and off, and then not really after that ever. Uh, I did play Classic a bit. when, Dude, when World of Warcraft Classic came out, I was so pumped for it, and I played it uh like nonstop right up until i and i couldn't wait to get my mount you know it was like yeah this is classic you have to fucking walk everywhere again you know it's tedious and awesome it's uh, awful <laughs> and then uh, and, and so you know it just makes it so you can't wait to get your mount you know uh and then i got i hit level 40 got my mount it was real cheap cuz i'm a warlock and uh and oh, then yeah. Uh, and then just never played again. <laughs> Hit level forty, got my got my mount. God, I forgot playing. how much of that a, was. I, for, I forgot how much of an advantage that was to being in a war, being a warlock. Is the the mounts are just so much easier to get because like at that in that original uh, in that original iteration, the the shittiest thing was you got to level forty and you worked your ass off and saved all your coin to get that mount. And the second you go into town with it, you realize it's not good enough. <laughs> so many oh, yeah. hours. Then there's level 60s with the full speed mounts, and you're like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of true. It's like you, you, you want the mount for so long, and you get it, and it's like a 40% speed increase. Versus oh, turns, 60. Yeah, it turns out you need to get to level 60 to get the real mount, you know. But yeah. still, though, it is still like a status symbol, you know, and it's great. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was the big dick move to just hang out in Orgrimmar, just idle there all day. Like, yes, mm. peasants, look at my cast in your AOE spells just because you know, they <laughs> yeah. look cool and to crash everyone else's computer. Speaking of which, man, so yeah, when I started in two thousand four, uh, you know, I was a kid in high school, right? And I didn't have a computer. We just had the family computer. And the family computer was old and not built for gaming and didn't have a graphics card in it, you know? You had so, a Famicom? Yeah, yeah, a family computer. Uh, so my first, like, two years of playing that game was at about 8 to 12 frames per second. <laughs> that, it was all I had, you know? And, and I, I played the shit out of the game like that. By the way, it was 8 to 12 frames per second out in the open. Uh, when, when I went into a capital city, I had to... You just crashed. You just crashed. So to avoid it, I had to zoom the camera all the way in and point it straight down. So I was just looking close up into the ground and then just used my mini map to like navigate around the cities. Uh, cause that was the only way to, to get it to run in the cities. So I have a, I have a couple questions for you. Um, mm-hmm. This one I'm just going to say because I just developed it. What game, and it, it's fine if it's World of Warcraft because you just kind of answered it, but what game made you willing to tolerate the lowest frame rate ever because it was that enjoyable? That is, that is a really good question. And, uh, yeah, I think it is World of Warcraft, and but it's sort of World of Warcraft by default because besides that... I, uh, but besides that, um, I never really played games that were under 30, you know, mm-hmm. like Doom yeah. is 35, Mario is 34 single player is stuff, yeah. 30. 
Yeah, like Mario 64 is like 30 and maybe is 20 at times, I'm not sure. Uh, but like, Well, you, you beat Game, Game Boy Castlevania that I'm still working on. So there's that. I did that. beat Castlevania the Adventure. I wouldn't, but part of your question was about the enjoyment of it. And I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it. I don't think <laughs> well, it hang on, but you, you beat it though. Hang on. If <laughs> you beat a game, you liked something about it, right? I, yeah. Yes. Castlevania the Adventure was like it was enjoyable, like a train wreck is. You know, it's that old thing where it's like I was enjoying just being in awe of how bad it was enough mm -hmm. to see it through to the end. Victory you know I mean? is entirely out of spite for that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, another answer to your question, though, is I I would say um, the uh, Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. This is kind of a half answer to your question. Like, is that it, on Game it, Boy it, Advance? It, it half fits. It was on PSP. Oh, so, okay. So Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions was a port of the PS1 Final Fantasy Tactics. Port, it was ported to PSP. It's mostly the same game, except they completely retranslated it. Like, it's fully retranslated. Uh, they added some animated cutscenes that are pretty cool and look pretty great. Is the translation better? Uh, better in the sense that you can understand what's going on a lot better. Yeah. Worse That's the important in that. Part. Yeah, it's worse in that I think a lot of the names and a lot of the wording of things was kind of cooler in the original. Things just kind of sounded cooler in general. I don't know. Can I don't really I, remember I, any examples, though. Can I make you hold that thought real quick? Because okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. When I first started watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, obviously I don't know Japanese. I read subs. I watched it on Crunchyroll. And then Crunchyroll had just the video bugged out and it was terrible. The frame rate got bad. Uh, so I switched to Netflix and then I watched the Netflix. And I, <laughs> the the English went from like just this normal uh, kind of talking kind of just like it felt like normal conversation. It went to this like almost poetic, like outrageously like there's there's like another whole layer of context here added where you ever see that movie that's based off Romeo and Juliet with uh Leonardo DiCaprio it's oh, like yeah. this weird live action hip hop recital Romeo plus Juliet I think that's probably what it is yeah 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 it, it I, felt I like that it felt like that it felt like there was this level of just street punkness uh plus the story the crazy story of Jojo obviously and then like this whole level of poetic uh, language and, and context that just would not be there otherwise and apparently that's like the 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 legit translation so like Crunchyroll just I totally get what you got, what you mean there like if a game is translated differently it can be better and worse in that it's yeah. fucked up in that you no longer understand what's going on with the context because things certain characters say will no longer have meaning to the situation um, yeah versus yeah, it's it's a little less extreme in the tactics thing. I think it's more like the the original game had very fancy talk, and they you I don't know. In my opinion, they just used a lot of like cool wording and stuff. Um, but it was like it wasn't difficult to understand because of the words they used. I don't think. I think it was just like questionably translated at times, uh, with like a lot of spelling errors and stuff too, and that kind of thing. 
but then, so the War of the Lions one, that stuff is fixed up, but I don't know. They just, like, uh, I, I guess an example would be, like, there, there was a move in the game that would, that would attack one enemy, and then it would also break their armor, and, uh, and in the PS1 version, it was called, like, Shell Bust Stab, you know? And then there was one that, like, uh, that broke their weapon and hurt them, and it was called, like, Ice Wolf Punch or something, you know? They had, like, <laughs> well, these fancy Wolf names. Fang Fist. <laughs> and then I don't remember what exactly they were called. Hell Cry Punch. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't remember exactly what they were called on the on the PSP version, but it was it was like made into like a they were very basic. It was just called like it wasn't exactly like break helm and break armor, but it was something to that effect where it was just like one word that just implied that it was a breaking attack and then another word that was what part of it is it attacking instead of them all having different cool names. Stuff like that is what I mean. Easier to understand, less cool sounding. Anyway, here's why it's an answer to your question though, is the PSP version had this like bug to it where every single time that you cast a spell or did some kind of ability that had like an effect on the screen, right? Some kind of like animation to it that wasn't just the sprite's punch or whatever. When there was like an effect. For some reason they ran like 20% slower than Ugh. on the PS1 version. Uh, and, like, the, the audio didn't slow down, though, so the audio, for the longer ones, you could tell that the audio actually gets ahead of the effect and stuff, and, uh, and so it made all the battles feel like they took a lot longer in that version, because every spell and every effect ability had this, like, slowdown to it that was super annoying, but I still played a shitload of it because it's Final Fantasy fucking tactics and it's handheld now. So, yeah, you know, I dealt with it. <laughs> I think um, my answer would be, I I tell this sometimes, so you may have already heard it, but um, I had a, well, my first ever computer was the worst ever Windows 95 laptop I've ever seen. But that's because laptops in the early 90s were not really kind of, they were designed for, you know, business use, people who could afford them and that sort of thing, but uh, not people who could play games. I had on PC via, I want to say, three floppy disks, MechWarrior 2. And uh, that's, if you don't know what MechWarrior is, it's, at least in this part, uh, a first-person shooter game, except it's a mech combat game, so you're seeing the cockpit of a mech. And you're controlling the mech's legs, the movement, the movement speed, all this sort of thing. Like, you have all these different metrics how you would think you would control a robot. You have all sorts of different controls for different weapon systems that you install yourself. It's pretty cool. Um, on a Windows 95 laptop from a company that was not even, like, a mainline company. Like, it was a company called CTX. It was a CTX EasyBook. Uh, on running Windows 95... On an old school passive matrix, shitty LCD screen, uh, it was not technically unplayable. It was just at a frame rate at which it was kind of slideshow esque. If you got anywhere near another mech and started to shoot it, um, 
but it was also it was mostly just the fact that the LCD screen was so bad that the image ghosting was like you it it looked like you had been piloting a mech af- after actively chugging down about an entire six pack of uh of victory golden monkeys you looked drunk everything was like the mo it was like a constant state of motion blur while also being a slideshow so the motion blur wasn't that much of a hindrance it was just trying to figure out what's going on where is he going is he going to be to my left is he going to be to my right if i turn my to my right using the torso control and, and fire a missile will it land will it even execute oh shit is the game crashing windows 95 uh is being windows 95 but it's fucking cool because I was a kid with a computer with my imagination going fucking nuts going, I'm really piloting a mech somewhere in the world right now. <laughs> like just somewhere in space on another planet, you know? Yeah, fucking yeah. Cool. There, there is a huge element to like this type of conversation that, that has to do with like when you're younger, yeah. you, you've got a lot more Probably. lenience uh, with this kind of thing. So I thought of one more game for this question too. When I was younger, growing up, we had a game on Game Boy called Faceball 2000. Uh, It's not an incredibly remarkable game, but it is a 3D game on Game Boy. Original Game Boy. Oh, whoa, what? Yeah, original Game Boy. It's actually a 3D first-person shooter. um, How? By having a shit frame rate. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I actually do, uh, there's a first-person off-road Jeep racing simulator game that I played on Game Boy, but it was not 3D. It was like a a slideshow in front of a a Jeep picture, poorly drawn Jeep picture. So Um, this is maybe a, 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 did you ever play games on a TI-83 Oh, uh, I want to say I played, I want to say I played Pong briefly. It was cool. Okay, okay. Can you imagine what Doom would look like on that thing? I actually think I've seen Lazy Game Reviews play Doom on a TI-83, and from what I remember, it ran pretty damn great, actually. So that's kind of what Faceball looked like in that, like, the... The way that, like, when when I say that it's 3D... Faceball um, 3 is what you said? Faceball 2000. Oh, Faceball 2000 on Game Boy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like the walls are not textured, you know? It's like there's just lines that, that show you, you know, oh, where the seam whoa. is from the ground to the walls and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You... <sighs> This is like your okay. So for people who are just listening to this, to visualize this, uh, picture the old classic Windows Maze screensaver that you're navigating, uh, except there's no mouse in it. They're like these little floating ball, smiley face head people, uh, and and there's no textures to the wall. Like you said, there's no brick wall. There's no dirt. There's no. What it has instead is white area solid dark area and then um shaded area by via crosshatch uh like kind of like almost like interlacing um and it uses that to distinguish ground wall and sky and then it has like the lighter shade green for the other like round characters and i guess are you shooting these guys it says shoot yeah 
Yeah. And then so there's a cache thing, logo below it. <laughs> yeah. One thing about the the Windows Maze screensaver is that if you really know what Knox is talking about with that screensaver, it's not on rails like that screensaver is, you know, where oh. it walks perfectly straight down the center, hits a corner, and pivots 90 degrees. It's not like that. You do have, like, it, it's that old school three uh, first-person controls like Metroid Prime or the old James Bond games where, like, you know, you only have the D-pad, right? So left and right turns you and up and down goes forward and back. There's no strafing. Uh, yeah, and then, like, A shoots, you know? And yeah, you know, you just go through these little mazes and there's enemies to shoot and the further you get, they start to shoot back, they start to move more. You gotta open doors, find keys. Um, you Could know. you describe the frame rate? Uh, terrible. It's about as bad as you can imagine. Uh, you know, I would say it probably ran at two frames per second. So... Two to four frames per second would be my so, guess. So... Do, 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 like a heartbeat frame per second, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad. Uh, you know, it's real bad. But uh, you know, when I was a kid and I was on the Game Boy, it was fine. And also, the the action in the game is very slow to make up for yeah. it. You know, well, I was so, gonna yeah. say for for being on a Game Boy, it sounds like an actually fantastic game. I I kind of want to pick it up now, just based off of what I'm seeing. But you know, I'm seeing a picture. <laughs> I'm not seeing yeah, a video. Yeah. But I, it's, uh, yeah, it's I played it a ton cool. when I was a kid. I did play it somewhat recently, and you know, once you once you get used to how slow and terrible the frame rate is, you know, you can have a decent time for a little um, bit for a few hours. It also exists on the Game Gear. Do not play the Super Nintendo version. Oh, I didn't even know about Super Nintendo, but it exists on Game Gear and looks much better. Um, not in, it's interestingly enough it doesn't use the whole screen but it uses okay so <clears throat> first of all if you have a hardware limitation where you can't res render full resolution graphics one of the tricks is to put a hud around the screen so that you make the action smaller smaller resolution um and the viewable area of of uh you know hud versus viewable area ratio on the game gear is smaller but the graphics do look a little bit better only in color though the game boy the way it shades things actually has does a better job of giving the idea of depth to an image it's pretty cool to look at actually um but but what about the Super Nintendo version? You'd think it has much more hardware, hardware horsepower to work with. So the thing about the Super Nintendo version, right? When I I mean, as far as playing the game goes, I remember it being basically the same feeling. But like the music is like the actual worst video game music I've ever heard. It's just horrible. It really? sounds like. It sounds like somebody, like, wrote all the music, like the MIDI, you know? It sounds like they wrote all the, all the music and then, like, programmed it into MIDI, but never actually listened to what any of the SNES sounds <laughs> sound like and just, like, plugged it in and never listened to it. And there you go. Um, and also, it's not even all that great to begin with uh, as far as the composition goes. But, yeah, it's, uh, whew. Oofta, it's real bad. <laughs> oh, that was an interesting discussion. Uh, I I like the idea of, I guess, I guess, 
I, I struggle to say it, but I think the Game Boy still is one of my, if not my, is my favorite platform gaming uh, for gaming of all time, just because I'm so intrigued by games that happen to be fantastic, given the insane limitations on hardware that you can have. Yeah, they um, had to program that shit in assembly. Yeah, it's oh, in like assembly language. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's crazy. It's cool. There's lots of cool Game Boy games out there. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in that kind of thing too, like like the actual limitations and how they got shit to work, there's a YouTube channel called Retro Game Mechanics Explained. I cannot recommend it enough. The guy does a fan fantastic job explaining how things work with like really good visuals to uh to like help you follow along. Like if you don't exactly know or if you don't exactly follow the jargon that he is saying, the visuals really help. And, like, he's got a video about, like, being a Game Boy guy. He's got a, a video about how the sprite compression and decompression of Pokemon works in Pokemon. Mm. Uh, super fascinating stuff. Uh, also, the um, there's one about like the way that the Pokemon's cries are generated and how they're played back using and how exactly the sound channels work. I would stuff. love this video. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, I'll I'll link it to you. But for you guys listening, yeah, check out Retro Game Mechanics Explained on YouTube. It's it's awesome. Um, so I had yeah. one more question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Bringing it back to a, our main subject of amiibo, I wanted to know because. You brought up Peach. I know you have. A, I know you have a Peach. Moment. No, actually, no. I'm thinking of an, another friend of ours, Popo. I know Popo oh. loves. Popo Peach. and I are fighting over Peach. We're <laughs> fighting over who's the bigger Peach fan. So, but, okay. dude, compound he, question. Then we'll start with why do you love Peach so much? I think a, a big part of it is is just how the Mario series is generally fantastic. Of like, course. Uh, all, like all of the games are great, right? But also. Like, Bowser is such a good villain because, like... Why? Because he's not just evil, right? He's a cool fucking dude, you know? Like, when you're around his castle in Mario World and it's just, like, you finally get to his castle and it's dark and there's lightning, but his castle is all, like, lit up with neon lights that say Bowser and you can hear the music bumping in the castle. You know, like, that's... You can hear, like, the muffled... And you're like, so he's just fucking partying in there? Is what you're saying? This whole time, he is just fucking throwing down in and everyone's having a party all the time in his place and then like oh my god and then you take it to this one game though right that's mario world World. but now you take it to like in mario 3d world you know one of the newest mario games you get to the bowser world and yeah it's like this fucking theme park that's all lit up the mu again like the music is bumping the castle has a big bowser head you know there's spotlights going and music playing and it's like dude i just want to hang out with this guy he seems awesome uh, but then, also, when you play games like Mario RPG and and games that have writing in them, uh, he's like, 
he's got so much personality to him. Like this in Mario, is what I wanted to know. Yeah, yeah. In Mario RPG, he's not even a villain, really. Uh, he starts out as one because it's a Mario game and they're getting you eased into a new Mario story, right? But it quickly becomes about uh, it quickly becomes about Smithy, the actual bad guy, instead of Bowser, and then he joins up with Mario and he's part of your team. Um, and he's just like such a funny guy that like uh it you know so anyway i'm I'm talking about bowser now but a a lot of those same great things are also kind of around peach uh you know where she's not just like a damsel in distress you know starting with mario 2 she's a playable character and she floats bro she's she's fun she's fun Uh, in uh in mario like we're talking about uh puyo puyo mario right not puyo puyo god damn um Doki Doki Panic? Doki Doki Panic, yeah. yeah We're talking yeah. about that Peach. Yeah, she's yes. fun. Yeah, super fun to play as, uh, you know, and then in other games where she's playable, like, well, also in Mario RPG, you know, she's a, she's a, a party member, um, and she's kind of overpowered. She's one of those party members where, like, she's so good in that game that on a subsequent playthrough, you might not even want to use her because she might have made the game too easy, you know. Uh, she's great. And, you know, Paper Mario is a great example of games. Love that, Paper Mario. That, uh, yeah, and, her, like, her character in those is always awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, Smash Bros. She's a, she, like, she was, like, the first overpowered, hard-to-knock-out-of-bounds character in Smash Bros., I think. Because she, oh, she could fly right back. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Peach is a top-tier character in Smash Melee, specifically, mm-hmm. is when she, like, took off and people... Uh, like, I, I want to say, you know, I'm not an expert on Smash Bros, so this might be slightly wrong, but I want to say Peach was the first character that people, like, discussed that maybe we have to ban Peach because Armada yeah. is too good with Peach, you know? Uh, of course it didn't happen, but, you know, like, she, ah, she, oh man, she kicks ass in Smash Bros. One of my favorite characters to play as. But yeah, 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 anyway, uh, the reason... So, right. So me and Popo, we're we're in competition here. He got this dope-ass pink Princess Peach diary that I was so <laughs> jealous of. That Y'all Nicole... are in a merch-collecting situation now. This so is great. Nicole got me the the diary also, so, so at least I feel uh-huh. better about that. <laughs> but anyway, I was thinking, I think we've spoken about figures and figurines enough. Perhaps... What have you been playing? I was just going to ask what your favorite amiibo was. That was the follow-up question. To oh, like Peach yeah. Sorry. I, I tried to move on too quick. My That's favorite okay. amiibo so far? I don't know. I mean, I got the Peach one. It's pretty great. I also really like the Inkling girl. I think that this is, like, the Splatoon character designs are just fucking awesome. Uh, mm. I actually Very bought... Unique. Yeah, I, I actually got the Callie and Marie ones without even ever having played Splatoon just because I thought that the uh, the design of the characters was so good. And then, yeah, last one also um, is the Link's Awakening Link because I think, like, I have you seen this game, the Link's Awakening remake on Switch? I have seen it. I haven't played it. I don't own it, but I know that I love it every last inch of it as what it is and how they did it and what they set out to do they they, they made yeah. a game boy game for the switch and they did such a good job from what i can tell 
Yeah, it's super faithful. It's like the same game, you yeah. know? But, man, and the thing about the art style with, like, the little, you know, everything looks like miniature toys and stuff. Like, oh, man, I think that they, like, when I... like I that a lot, yeah. When they first, like, revealed Link's remakening, as one Flex <laughs> Retro coined it, um, when they when they first, like, revealed it on Nintendo Direct or whatever, and I saw the graphics, it was, like, literally jaw-dropping for me. Not it to sound so like good. Not to sound like a huge turbo nerd shill who's being paid to run a, a shill podcast, but, I like, I loved the art style so me much. Me too. Me too. Um, it, yeah. Everyone, it's kind of funny because everyone, for the most part, now people are a little bit more kinder to it. But for the most part, during the time, during back in the day, everyone fucking hated Wind Waker, Link. When for, well, yeah, when Wind Waker everyone was first announced, Waker. everyone was like, "Wait, it's like it looks like it's for kids," you know. <laughs> and, and now I, he's I literally more it. than that. I yeah. yeah. So I'm not a Zelda fan yet. Like I said, after Castlevania, I'm gonna try Zelda, and I'm gonna go a chronological order, just like Castlevania. And hopefully, I won't hate myself as much because hopefully, Zelda's easier. But um. When I saw Wind Waker when it was new, I was like, I really don't see the problem, guys. I kind of even love the graphics of the world. The cell shading made it so bright and sunny, and you're sailing. It looked really cute. Why did everyone hate it? Everyone hated it. Um, and I guess it's just because well, I guess what was the iteration before that? It was it was uh, it was the N64 games, uh, Majora's yep. Mask, um, and uh, and Ocarina and, and of Time. Ocarina of Time. So, yeah. so it's it's going to be like this. I guess well, I guess especially with Majora's Mask, which was the sequel, uh, it, it it was a little bit darker, and I guess they were just totally. kind of expecting it to go into that direction. I think that is what it was. Majora's Mask was like a really like dark adult game kind of you know and yeah. so then yeah to follow that up because now we're on gamecube right everyone wants to see the new graphics and, and what what can they do with zelda with the new power and then they came out with something that looks like it's more family friendly uh yeah. instead of going darker and yeah they it was kind of rejected for that um but luckily the graphics were actually awesome in their they were own impressive way. still like if you think about it the okay Look at the jump between N64 uh, Zelda and then Wind Waker, and it's like, okay, maybe the color palette I can be see see kind of being upsetting, but like graphically in general, it's a huge step up, and I think it looks f plenty fine to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I you know personally, I loved the the colors as well. It had a very like pastel kind of yeah. uh, palette to it, which looked great. Um, and then, but the thing is, the game kicked ass, too, and so I, I think it's really turned around Wind Waker nowadays, where, like, originally, yeah, everyone kind of re rejected it because of how it looked, but now it's more like, what do you mean you didn't like Wind Waker? What, because of how it looked? What, are you an idiot? You know? So. Right. Yeah, people kind of have a little bit more uh, rose-colored glasses when it comes to it now. But I think it's... Because after that, you got Twilight Princess, right? Yeah, Twilight Princess was like the step back, appease the yeah. fans, sort of. Yeah, where they, they went the more mature direction with the look of it. And Twilight Princess has a really good look to it also. Uh, like, art direction-wise, I think that game looks really cool. And, you know, I think Link's Awakening has become the number one Zelda game that I'm looking forward to playing the most when it comes to my exploration of the series in the future. Because I, A, I love the Game Boy so much, and B, the graphics of the new game 
looked so good to me, like you said, that it made me even more excited to play the original because yeah. I want to experience what the difference is. And when I saw when I first saw that reveal um, of the remake, I was like, I, I I was I was pretty blown away too. But I was like, oh my god, why haven't we gotten like other Game Boy IPs remade like this? Because this looks fantastic. Like, I, and then I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, my number one thing I would go to is Pokemon. So I thought about it, and then I was like, okay, this art style probably wouldn't work specifically for the combat scenes where those like much more detailed looking sprites will be drawn versus like the basic looking environment. Whereas Zelda is always a top down experience, at least from that point. You know what that reminds me of though, is uh, one of the best games ever made final fantasy seven. There's a game where you're on, when you're on the field and you're running around in town and stuff, all the characters are like little chibi characters. But then once you go into a battle, the battle scene, all the characters are like yeah. full char- anime character models you know, I don't know. What if they did that? That'd be pretty dope. I'd probably just honestly, I would buy it <laughs> instantly. Yeah, that's that's exactly what would happen in that order. Um, I'd be I'd be so excited. I would jizz and I would pull my credit card out without even knowing it happened, all in the mm-hmm. same second. Um, yeah, I, I fucking give me more remakes with those kinds of graphics, like unabashedly copy the Game Boy game. Like, yeah, I, I, like, I saw DF Retro's breakdown of that video, and and he noticed that it's it's a copy of the Game Boy game right down to when you walk over a plant, like like a little like leaf shape. They they all moved like little piano keys. It was cool, and they have that in the Switch game too. It was really neat how they just copied every last element. The super super obvious thing is that there's two more Game Boy Zelda games, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. Mm. which so few people have played because they've never, like, done anything with those games after the Game original. Boy Color, I think, right? I, you know, I'm not actually sure if those were... I, they they might have been color only. So, sure. so um, Link's Awakening, if it came out before that, uh, came out in the transition period where Game Boy uh, and the Game Boy the Game Boy in, in color install base was really trying to grow at that point in time. So, so that was so there's DX. A, so there's a DX version of Link's yeah. Awakening. I think I actually own Oracle of Seasons, and I'm pretty sure it's a Game Boy Color cartridge, okay. the round cartridge. Cart, you know? Yeah, yeah. Original Link's Awakening was Game Boy only, and then they released mm. DX later. That was like game boy color compatible oh did it kind of just come out like after the oracle of seasons stuff came out i'm not sure about it versus oracle of seasons and ages it's just that there's two versions of Link's but much Awakening. later is what you're saying though mm-hmm. okay yeah, yeah the original i want to say was 93 or 94 i can't remember exactly but it's one of those two i don't know yeah. it, honestly it's cool that people are still making games for the game boy like people, man, we we should do like an episode on just like. Well, first I gotta play some to get an idea, but how cool it is that 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 like the Sega Genesis is still get has an active community of people making new games for it. Yeah, I just saw Minin playing a new NES game that looked yes. really cool. I couldn't, I can't remember what it was called, but it looked awesome. There are people, including Popo, by the way, um, who have been playing some stuff on the NES that is like either a new game or a new tech demo. And dude, 
that there there has been so many advancements in uh in like the knowledge and of what you're able to do with the nes hardware um it's crazy there's a video that plays like it's just a video and it's only silhouettes it's like characters dancing popo played that for me and it was it was live you know through an upscaler through a capture card from an nes yeah, and it, it looks like full motion video. On it looks NES. like full motion video, but it, it's not like full motion video upscaled to like you know two four or four eighty p whatever would look like dog shit. You'd have all that like awful compression in the video feed. This didn't have any of that. It was the actual sprites of white and black being drawn in real time in two forty p. No fuzziness, no compression at all, and the sound was one of the it was some of the coolest music I've heard being made from an NES before too. And he said, you know, if I leave this running for a good five minutes or so, the NES will get pretty warm. Mm. Because, you know, the NES is all solid state. There's no fans in there to cool it off. Yeah. Um and I think I fuck, I think the PPUs are actually still partially silic or uh uh porcelain if i'm not mistaken um they're older ic's so they have that old porcelain kind of feel to them um but yeah no fans nothing no cooling (laughs) it says uh the the fact that it can process that video and audio at the same time is really neat um and i love seeing that i love seeing what people are able to do to push 30 year old hardware to the absolute limit now um and it's especially bizarre because you see cultural references in modern games on old hardware it's like i don't feel like i should there's like a breakdown in my fingers ergonomically holding an nes controller and and seeing a reference made to uh, to, to some event that happened in 2019 like you, it's a cool feeling that your brain puts together for you it's it's an interesting thing we should do an episode on that one day oh sure but for now right. i think uh I, I, i'm 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 good to go if you are yeah let's move on Move on to games we've been playing. All right. What have What have you been playing? Fighting games mostly. Um, been been getting better at Street Fighter Five, but I've also been exploring. Uh, I I've learned that I want to explore Capcom versus SNK Two, Mark Two Thousand One Mark of the Millennium. Full title. <laughs> um, uh, wait, hang on. Capcom versus SNK Two Mark of the Millennium. Capcom versus SNK two, uh, colon, two thousand one, Mark of the Millennium. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And and then if you go by the full name, uh, this is technically uh, they add pro at the end. Oh, because, it's pro now. Okay. Uh, well, it's it doesn't say it is, but this is the pro version, and that Dan Hibiki and Joe Higashi are now playable characters in it. Um, they've been added to the roster. Uh, Dan Hibiki is the Shoto character who's kind of like a joke character in all the Capcom games. And Joe Higashi is not a, he's like a mainline series character that was absent from the original roster. Um, but apparently it is pretty good. Um, it works off of, uh, so, so I guess it, the weird thing with these Capcom versus or so-and-so games is a lot of the time you're taking, um, 
if you're using existing fighting game IPs, you are taking two different systems of fighting and, and putting them together. So it's kind of hard to meld those two things. A lot of people, a lot, a lot of times the game will come out like uh, they'll take they'll take the other IP and just try to meld it to Street Fighter characters or other Capcom yeah, IP like, stuff. Like what they did with Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, and then the weird thing with that was then they were also planning to make Tekken Cross Street Fighter where they were just going to do the same thing the other way around. Yeah. And I think I, that got canceled. I wish it didn't. I, I think it's probably because X Tekken probably didn't sell too well, I don't think. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the, you're often mixing up two systems. And if you play a King of Fighters game and then you play a Capcom, like a Street Fighter game, you're going to notice they play very differently. Mainly that King of Fighters is much faster. Um projectiles are often much bigger and harder to dodge uh and combos are generally easier to execute if you know what you're doing because they're it's a faster paced game you can kind of almost a little it's almost a little bit more button masher friendly whereas street fighter is a little bit more footsies based which means it's a little bit more like you're kind of fighting for the neutral ground between each other and one move that i do could be a one slip up that allows you to get in on me to where you'll start opening up a combo string on me and trying to get to where i'm vulnerable that's in king of fighters 2 but that also happens a lot faster and it's not as involved a part of the decision making process like as far as my brain can tell um they're different games but the way that this game handles it is there's a groove system and there's a cap for capcom there's c groove a groove and p groove and then there's uh snk for the snk grooves Uh, and like there's like it's like a super system uh, is for the S. The N system is like it was like a new system, and K was like a some kind of other thing. I can't remember. I haven't memorized them all yet. But like one uses like the the the, the fighting system engine of like Third Strike and Street Fighter Alpha put together. It's like a straight copy of that engine. And then another one will be like, uh, well, you can have one solid super meter, and then it'll build up this way. Um, and it just it's kind of just puts a whole bunch of different variables to a normal 1v1 fighting game that doesn't exist so far. Um, And it's a Dreamcast game, which actually, well, I'm playing the Naomi version of it, but the Sega Naomi is basically the arcade platform of the Dreamcast. So I can't play it through my normal uh, Fightcade emulator, so I'm trying to set it up that way. But it's cool because, like, the 3D environments that the Dreamcast can render is, like, I've never seen any other like amazing backgrounds to a fighting game like that up until that point there's like all this shit happening like this i'll be in a i'll be in like a an airfield fighting guile and like there's this bomber that comes in dropping bombs on part of the airfield and then like some fighter jets chase after it i'll be in this like area in like the arctic and a boat will just like a cruise ship will just come by stop and then like drop ladder and like a car will come off it's it's cool um it's it's really nice level design, and it's funny because it contrasts really starkly with uh, <laughs> Capcom, who straight up just copied every last one of the sprites and their animations from the Street Fighter Alpha series, as well as like like they threw Morgan in there from Darkstalkers, which my God they 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 had like the King of Fu- the new newly drawn King of Fighters. Um, or the S and K sprites looking great and detailed, 
next to these sprites that look like dude they look like from a game like 10 years earlier so you have these really old looking classic looking fighting game characters playing these new high res but still cool 2d sprite looking characters with 60 frame rate beautifully like anti-aliased 3d backgrounds going on with like action in the background it's crazy um so yeah that's what i've been playing to try and learn it uh i don't know if i'm gonna get into it yet because it's a four button game versus a six button game like capcom does so i have to get used to that layout again even though i'm trying to get into that with king of fighters anyway but i digress fighting game stuff exciting stuff how about you well um <clears throat> real quick so with fighting games, I'm just curious, what do you oh, sure. prefer for like blocking? How do you prefer that a game handles whether you're a blocking? A thousand or percent hold back to block. It's like every good fighting game has hold hold back to block. Uh and then there's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> okay. Mortal Kombat has the block button and it is terrible. Soul Calibur. <laughs> Soul Calibur has a block button and I don't hate it. Um, but Soul Calibur is a much more complex 3D fighter versus, you know, a 2D fighter. Yeah. And when so, you're fighting in a 2D environment, things like that stick out way more harshly. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, right, because, like, in, in a 3D fighter, right, like, the idea of holding back is so much more specific, you know, because you might want to be holding up or down to move differently and that kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. totally. So yeah, sidestepping <clears throat> and whatnot. I've also I, I've always heard that Soul Calibur is like the the thing that like I played a bunch of Soul Calibur two, uh, Me just too. Yeah. casually as a kid because it had Link in it on GameCube. It's so good. Oh fuck you then. <laughs> 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 Never mind. We're not friends. <laughs> oh dude, it was so cool having Link in a fighting game. Uh, so but I I'm I'm curious because I I always heard it sold as like it's the fighting game where everyone's got a weapon. In your experience, how much is that like actually a thing that sets it apart? Game. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's um, a big deal. There are weapons in other games like Samurai Showdown, also a huge favorite of mine. Each character is different because they have a weapon, but that's kind of just their style, and that just modifies their reach and whatnot. Whereas in Soul Calibur, as you can imagine, the transition to a three D fighter it becomes a lot more imminent a problem you have to deal with. Um, people like Nightmare, who have a gigantic fucking sword, have a lot more reach, and you have to figure out how to penetrate that in a 3D space, uh, in a game that there's relatively almost no jumping, by the way. Um, it's just, the 3D fighters are much different. Um, I would say 100% Soul Calibur is all about the weapon play because there's really aside from Heihachi in the PS2 version of Soul Calibur 2 which is the one I was blessed with um, there's really not a lot of characters that do much outside of what they do with their weapons uh, like there's there's kind of like a, uh, a Gil kind of character um, but even he is like I'm talking about the newest Soul Calibur, Soul Calibur Six. I, I'm struggling to remember his name, but he's he's one of those characters that like you know Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat was just any other any character he wanted to be. This guy's yeah. attacks are just certain attacks that every other character has with that weapon. When, and actually, uh, a character that was a lot more basic like that um, was in Soul Calibur Two. He was a Necrid 
He was the character that went through all all three platforms, but he was in there because he was the another character thrown in there uh, by the creator of Spawn. Spawn was in the right. Xbox version of uh, of Soul Calibur Two, but Necro was, was on hmm. all of them. There was also uh, speaking of like a character that takes on other characters. There was a character in Soul Calibur Two named Charade that was like, uh, yes, it was like every round of every fight he was just a clone of a different character. Yeah, wasn't he just kind of like, oh, my, my memory's failing me, but wasn't he just kind of like a dummy doll character and you knew who he was based on his stance on what weapon he was holding? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a Mokujin character, as it's referred to. There's a character called Mokujin in the Tekken series, I want to say, um, which apparently just translates to wood doll. So. Oh, okay. And yeah. so that's that's like the generic term for that type of character in different fighting games? Or so I've learned so far, yeah. Oh, sure. I uh, get that. Yeah, and, and Tekken is different. Too. Like, You want to talk about the differences in, in 3D fighters? It's It gets even deeper because series to series, the the combat is, and, and the way that the controls are is just totally different. Like Virtua Fighter uh, will be really different from Tekken. Tekken will be really different from Soul Calibur, um, even though they basically run on the same engine. They're made by the same people. Uh, very different feel to them. And with weapons, it kind of adds a little bit. Soul Calibur does a great job of of, of adding uh, weapons, which would, for, for you, those who don't know, the attacks are like horizontal, square, and triangle is your vertical. Um, for some, that would kind of like make it seem like the game gets a little bit more simpler. But Soul Calibur does a great job of making it even more complex after that. And then, then there's games like Tekken where it's like left and right hand based, um, you know, whether you do triangle or square. Dead or Alive is a little bit different too. Um, but I think the biggest difference from what I understand, and mostly because I don't understand it, is Virtua Fighter. Virtua Fighter is like, it's a three button game, but it's more complex at the same time. Like, it's a three button game, there's punch, kick, and I want to say parry or dodge. I haven't gotten into it yet. But it's all about where you are and at what time. It's all about movement and kind of ordering and what you do. Guard, yeah. So it's actually a block button. <laughs> yeah. I've, fighting games are like you could play one game in the same genre by the same developer. And those two games will be entirely different. Their control scheme could be the same though. But yeah. You kind of want that in a genre, right? A genre is more important or, or more interesting a lot of the time when there's there's a lot of... Di very different styles of games in it exactly um, like speaking of which uh so so i've been playing i've been playing quite a bit of different things lately um but that's a night that would be a nice segue into hatsune miku project diva uh wait no yeah hatsune miku project diva mega mix uh i've been playing a bit of and is that on uh, uh vita it's on switch oh, okay yeah, there, what, there is a Miku Vita game on Vita, though, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, weren't so, Miku games mostly on Vita? Uh, and uh, PS3. So there, so there was Hatsune Miku. So I believe the Miku games, uh, I might be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe they were originally arcade games. And kind of the way that they were set up is kinda they like have... Kind of Mania, right? I don't or exactly... DJ... DJ Hero or something like that. I don't know. I'm a 
terrible closet weeb because I know nothing about Hatsune Miku. I think you know more because you've even just played a game. I've never even played a game. Right. So, all right. Well, the, so the reason I'm I'm uh, talking about it as like a rhythm game is it, it. So yeah, it's it's very like rhythm games is a great example of like a genre where the different games are so different from each other. Like my big introduction into rhythm games was Guitar Hero. You know. And, uh, really? and get, yeah, I think unless I'm Later forgetting on, something, huh? yeah. Did you unless... never play DDR? No. So Did you never, you never played DDR. How about Parappa the Rapper? Uh, I I had a demo of Parappa the Rapper when I was a kid, but that was it. It, it counts because that's how I got into it too. Oh sure, yeah. So so I had a demo of Parappa the Rapper, but it's not like I got into it because you don't sit there and play Parappa for the the same. Parappa the Rapper demo level for six hours at a time. Uh, like I don't know you about do, you. Maybe like you should speak for yourself. <laughs> it's one song, dude. Uh, it's a great song. It, it it was a good it was a good one. No one's <laughs> arguing that that fucking punch kick punch. It's all in the mind. Uh, is a bad song. All right. What I'm saying though is um, so yeah. Like I I had that demo. And then my my thing with DDR was that uh, I didn't, like, understand it. You know, a couple times mm. when, I, uh, w when I went to an arcade and I saw DDR and I was like, that looks fun. I would go throw a quarter in it and then the arrows would start coming up. And I didn't understand that you were supposed to hit them to a beat or when they oh. lined up with anything. I was just like, oh, you got to hit them real fast. You know, so I would just immediately lose, and that was my experience with DDR, you know, growing up, because I was dumb and an idiot, and I didn't understand it, right? So, yeah, it was Guitar Hero 2, specifically, that, like, got me into rhythm games. Um, and the, the, the interesting thing about it is the way that, like, the the big difference between eastern and and western rhythm games you know where like guitar hero is a game where you're emulating one specific instrument you know what i mean uh so something like ddr the song is playing and they just make a fun chart to it you know where you hit things to the beat in a way that's fun and it should kind of go along with the beat relatively right but guitar yeah. hero is like you gotta play the guitar line each strum is gonna be a strum that you do and you're gonna change frets when it changes frets and to to the song right uh which is interesting because it means that like it gives a lot more weight to something like a guitar solo you know what i mean like so, like I, I think that the pacing is really interesting in something like Guitar Hero because it's paced with a song where you've got you've got complex patterns at some time sometimes, right? And then yeah. maybe it'll chill out for a little bit on the verse. Oh, you just got some power chords to play, right? Yeah. And so then you, yeah, you're saying like there's there's it forces you to have a like a spotlight on you uh specifically, so there's a little bit of pressure. DDR definitely doesn't do solos, so I see where you're coming from with that. But yeah. it does do. Uh, it does have a mode where you can actually. I, I think in older versions of the game, you did have to pay for both sides, but you can play both sides of the pad as one player. Oh yeah, so I've to do seen this, that. 
intricate dance on both sides of the pad. Yeah, yeah. It's stupid crazy. It's cra- it's cool and fun to watch, but um you can't do that on a guitar because you're already using the whole guitar. So yeah. to speak. Guitar, quote unquote. I've yeah. always wanted there to be a game where you have to dance dance revolution on a pad while your guitar hero guitaring at the oh, same dude, time. Oh dude, you can actually do that. You can actually probably just play both at the same time. Oh well, yeah, I, well, <laughs> I, you'd have to play the same song in both games and sync them up just right. It'd be a it'd be a nightmare. It wouldn't be anywhere near as hard as you're thinking. So there's a game called Step Mania, which essentially has always just been like an emulator bootleg of DDR. It's an, it's, it, you're just playing DDR with a keyboard, um, mm-hmm. but it's cool because you can practice the actual steps in your head. But if you're if you were out of shape like I was when I was trying to play DDR, you know there was no use. You could you could get as good as it good as you could get on the keyboard, and as soon as you try to play it in real life, you're just dying. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you could but but you could actually upload a song and then like do the controls for it yourself if you would want to manually map it out so yeah that'd be a pain in the ass but you could do it i think also the game phase shift has a guitar and a dance pad mode both built into the game that it reads off the same midi file so using that you could do it also anyway let's so the other thing though about it is that also with something like guitar hero the difficulty of a song is tied to the song, you know? Yep. You can't make a White Stripe song more difficult, you know? Uh, it, yeah. Unless, unless well, you're like, hang on, in- hang on. Let, let me stop you there. Because in Guitar Hero or Rock Band, I can't remember which one, I thought they did do the thing where DDR does, where it's like you can play it in hard, easy, whatnot, but they just kind of like, you know, reduce some of the inputs on the track didn't they do that in like at least guitar or a a rock band i think yeah yeah yeah. but uh, what i'm what i'm saying is that so when you play expert mode right time for expert mode it can at at that point they're trying to emulate the actual guitar track as closely as possible you know like if you were writing out a guitar track for a song yourself you're going to chart this song into guitar hero you would do expert first and you would make mm. it match as closely as you possibly could, right? Yep. And then the other ones, you just reduce shit. We're not talking about hard, easy, and medium, though. Only talking about expert. Um, so, uh, so the other, the just the thing that's interesting about making a game that is like specifically based on a certain instrument that you're playing is the fact that the difficulty is maximized by the difficulty of the song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I got you, you now. You can't make it harder without being kind of stupid about it. Yeah. Uh, so, but a, but like DDR, it's just up to how you want to chart it. You know, you can just take, you know, you can just put more steps in it if you want, and it's not going to be that weird, right? Um, anyway, I just think that that's interesting is all. Uh, the other, like, just kind of difference, generally, between, like, those types of games is that Guitar Hero and Rock Band have a very forgiving multiplier system where once you hit ten notes in a row, your multiplier goes up, and it only goes up to four, and once you're at a four times multiplier, you're capped, right? That's as much as you can be doing unless you use you know the star power or overdrive doubles it for a little bit of time but that's it right um meanwhile like i feel like eastern rhythm games that i've played are generally a lot harsher 
uh, where like the combo just keeps going up and up and up as you go. And the multiplier keeps getting higher and higher and every note keeps getting worth more and more points. I feel like, I don't know, it's not exactly as clear a lot of the time how the scoring works, but it kind of feels like it's more brutal. While with like Rock Band, if you make a mistake, you're caught back up to the max in like a few seconds if you're playing a fast song, you know? Uh, so it doesn't, that. yeah, so it doesn't like feel like one mistake is all that big of a deal. Um, but like, in some of the games I've played, like Persona 4, Dancing All Night and stuff, it's like you make one mistake and you're knocked all the way down to the next rank down, you know? Uh, as Dancing as, like, All Night, is that, is that like another spinoff game that's a rhythm game? Oh, yeah. So, God, there's so much Persona spinoff stuff. I didn't know about all this. Yeah, there's a so fighting there, game, now there's a rhythm game. Yes, so there's a, there's a game on Vita called Persona 4 Dancing All Night that is a rhythm game based on the soundtrack of Persona 4. And it's awesome it's Sounds real awesome. good and i super recommend it i just really really didn't like the story mode the story mode was like a huge drag uh one thing and they did this with the fighting game also okay oh my god let's just uh, uh, uh let's talk for a minute about persona 4 the fighting game and the dancing game they both have stories in them and i think that they both fuck them up in really detrimental ways <laughs> um the fighting game has this problem where every single character's campaign is the same story, but told from their perspective and also like they're the hero. So they don't happen simultaneously. They're all a different universe. Oh, every so boring. Yeah, yeah. Every single character's story is the same exact story happening, except they are the main character. And there's a couple things that are different because it's from their perspective, you know? Yeah. And yeah, after you do like two or three of them, it's so fucking boring. Um, so yeah, that was a huge problem there. The other problem, which both of them do this, is there is a shitload of internal dialogue that also explains everything as if you've never played Persona before or you've never played this game before or you haven't just already done these other characters' stories. As in, like, okay, so what I mean is when you play the second or third character in Persona 4 Arena, the fighting game, not only are you just hearing the same story again, but you're also hearing all of the explanations of who everybody is again. But from this person's perspective <laughs> now, you know, it's fucked. Uh, it's just real, real boring. And that's one of those games that, well, both of those games are one of those games that, like, you, I feel like the developers should have kind of kept it in mind that if they're playing this game, chances are they were already part a big part of the target audience and they know a lot of this stuff. So let's not force feed it to them too much, I guess. Maybe they yeah. should have taken that into consideration. Yeah, and my other issue with the internal dialogue that you get, so there, there, so so having to play as multiple characters isn't a thing in the rhythm game, as far as I remember. Uh, but it did still have the issue that the fighting game also has of way too much internal dialogue that over-explains who everybody is and also over-explains what you're already seeing as a care as a player like Ugh. there there will be yeah, yeah like a cutscene will play out 
they'll say something, something will happen, and then it'll go into internal dialogue that just says what just happened. And it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's super tedious. Uh, yeah. And also the other problem with it, on top of just being annoying, is that the dialogue is voiced and the internal dialogue is not. So if you like to play with, like, the auto advance on, you know, where it just, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Where where if it's voice Where acted, you don't have to interact with it. Yeah. To like get it's, the, yeah. Right. Like, it, it's presented like other JRPGs where there's a text box that says what they're yeah. saying in it. But because it's voiced, they make it so that it'll auto advance to the next thing once the voice uh, line ends. But the internal dialogue isn't voiced, but it still auto advances. So, like, it just kind of hangs there. for it, it just breaks up the conversations too much to me, you know? It's like there's three or four lines of dialogue and then just a 20-second gap of silence, whether you're reading it or not, and then back to people talking. It's just kind of jarring. It has, no, <laughs> it has no flow to it, you know? It's just it's fucking terrible. Ruins uh, the purpose of the whole feature, in my and opinion. There, yeah, and... and, and, and and even if you're not using the auto advance, it's just still a problem of breaking up the flow of all the cutscenes by stopping to do this internal shit so often. So anyway, so that's my issue with the story modes of both those games. As far as the rhythm game part of the Persona 4 dancing game on Vita, it's real good. Uh, very fun. The music is good. The songs are fun to do. Uh, there's a lot of just good little things like you choose who you play as and choose their um, outfit. One big thing about it is that it's an Atlas game. And I don't know if you have caught on to this, but Atlas has like the best menu and interface designs of any company out there. I've so seen like, a few. So like the process of selecting a song and your character and their outfit and all that sounds kind of cumbersome, but like it's laid out so nicely and like the menu looks great and sounds great and everything is really easy to do to get into a song the way that you want to and then you play it and it's fun. Uh, yeah, just super great game. Um, so I played that a lot. I really liked it. Lately, though, so I've been playing, so there's hot, There's these Hatsune Miku rhythm games also. The first one I played was called Project Diva F for the PS3. There was also a second one of those on PS3. And then there was Project Diva X for PS4. And then there was Future Tone, which I don't even really know what that's for because I have not played that one, but I have played the other ones. And then now there is Mega Mix for... Switch. And one very interesting thing immediately about the Switch game is that so these games, you play them with a controller. Uh, like, because I was talking about Guitar Hero earlier, right? The, uh, the Miku games, you just play them with a controller, right? Uh, and that's one thing that I really like about them is that you don't need a special controller or anything. You can just play it with your controller. And the triangle, square, X, and circle buttons are the buttons that you have to hit. But this new one's on Switch. They actually have triangle, square, X, and circle as an option to use on the Switch version. If, if you're <laughs> so, super it's less used confusing. It. That's yeah. awesome. God, super I awesome. hate that because, like, oh Jesus, the Switch, the Wii U, the uh, the Xbox, 
they all use the same basic idea of X, uh, Y, A, B, and like four colors. And they're all fucking different. And yeah. it's so fucking confusing. Well, Me- Nintendo doesn't really do the colors. Well, they did with the Famicom, but, y- you know. I suppose, yeah. With Super Famicom, they were colored. Yeah, right. with Super Famicom. But, like, it's just, oh, my God. Uh, it's here's, like, I'll the PlayStation how to is just so much it. easier to, yeah. Now, here's how it works, all right? Don't play Xbox. Problem solved. Problem. A is on the right. B is on the bottom. X is on top. Y is on the left. No questions. That's always how it is. Let's go. Problem. Uh, <laughs> I sold my GameCube to buy an Xbox when uh, okay. when I when I when I played Halo, and uh, I fucking love the Xbox controller. I I actually still to this day think the Xbox controller is a lot more suited to FPS style games and just general movement, uh, like even like for third person perspective stuff, uh, than the PlayStation ever will be because of its locked in layout of the sticks not being staggered. Um, so much so that like Nintendo took up after it after they kind of just were like, okay, the switch is definitely going to be that now. <laughs> well, they tried the, to... the GameCube the... did that though. Well, the GameCube did it with the sticks in different places. Yeah. But yeah. like not in the way that I'm talking like, like they used, yeah. the, they replaced this, the, the, the C buttons with a C stick. And they uh-huh. made it kind of have that functionality. Although I do think they used it in the Xbox way when it came to stuff like like Metroid Prime, right? No, um, Metroid Prime was like all left stick for looking and aiming. The C oh, stick well, then was, it was to switch items or weapons. I think I'm thinking Star Fox Adventures then, third person stuff. So, yeah, I think Star Fox Assault used the C stick to aim. Also, Geist used Geist had like Halo controls. I didn't play any of those, but I didn't. I, that's the thing. I didn't do too much on the GameCube before trading it in to GameStop mm-hmm. for an Xbox because, and in hindsight, I do regret it because there's so much more about GameCube that I admire now than other than understand it and know it a little bit more. Well, um, we're getting a little distracted, but I do. Yeah. There's a huge Sorry. thing I want to say. No, no, I, 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 I like this distraction real quick. So you're talking about how you like. That for a movement-based game, your uh, you, the stick is in a real comfy spot for your thumb, right? Correct. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Nintendo did it first with... Uh, the N64? Yeah, with this fucking thing that everyone pretends to hate. But it's actually an amazing, excellent controller. Thank you, because I fucking I'm the only one who reps that controller, and I even don't really like the N64 all that much. I think the N64 controller is so good because of it's the it's the first controller that gave you options on games that like used movement with the with the with the D pad or the stick. And dude, that stick is actually phenomenally accurate. It's stupid good. I don't know how... They designed that stick in a different... like That's a different kind of joystick than pretty much most other joystick designs are. Um, It uses this weird, like, like pin pivoting, like, 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 not like a string, but like it pulls something. It pulls on the sensor rather than you physically moving the sensor yourself with a straight up hard mounted stick. I'll tell you exactly how it works real quick here. So, you got a stick that's sticking out, right? 
Now, it's being held kind of in the center at like a fulcrum point, meaning that mm -hmm. there is a counter stick on the other side of the stick that you are moving. Yes. And that is hitting up against a bowl. So the bowl, a as you move an, an N64 stick around, you are sliding the butt end of it around on a bowl, and that's what gives it its nice arcing motion, right? Yeah. Now, attached to the butt of that stick are two in a cross shape, one for X and one for Z uh, Y, are two, like, uh, they're like scooped gears. So when you slide the stick up and down, you rotate one of those scooped gears around. Oh. And when you slide it the other way, it rotates that one around, the bowl. And on the, on the sides of those scoop of those plastic scoops that you're rotating are gears that are attached they they have like little well this is the part where i can't tell you exactly how it works but those spin and uh and the controller it's can so read. much more complex <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and it's it's fucking accurate the n64 yes, controller that's what you're saying stupid accurate that's um, why games like 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 um like GoldenEye, I think, were so successful because you did have that accuracy with that stick in that god-awful position, let's be honest, for the control scheme of GoldenEye, which, again, let's be honest, had an awful control scheme. Um, I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of GoldenEye, specifically. You do got to be, be fair to it for the time, though, because GoldenEye came out before like Halo kind of redefined the whole genre. Yeah, for sure. But uh, so yeah, so so point is though that the N sixty four stick or the N sixty four controller, Nintendo knew like, hey, some games are gonna primarily use the analog stick, and some games are gonna primarily use the D pad instead of making the player's thumb be in an awkward position in half of those games. We're gonna give it one handle for this kind of game and one handle for that kind of game, and everyone likes to make fun of it, like you know. I only got two hands, but like, just think about it for a couple seconds, and it's very comfortable for two different control styles, and it's great. But uh, yeah. but anyway, so then also then the GameCube came out that that then did adopt the just put your thumb down for a D pad, and also the D pad is tiny, and games should not primarily use this thing because that's no longer what video games do apparently. Uh, but they had the stick the stick in the very comfy position and then xbox came out later that also did that and that was my whole thing yeah <laughs> i would definitely venture to say the xbox controller is better than the gamecube controller though perhaps this maybe we can save this debate for next time talking about the best we well, can talk about, i would love to talk about controllers for yeah. a single solid episode we could do oh that. yeah let's do that next time sure for now I've been playing Hatsune Miku Project Diva Mega Mix. <laughs> it is a Switch game. Uh, so the interesting thing about the these Vocaloid rhythm games is that they they follow like the vocal pattern. So I, so they're a really weird mix. I, I the the reason I was talking for so long about like Guitar Hero versus DDR and like East versus West style design is that the Miku games do kind of a weird mix of both where uh where they are kind of locked to one particular instrument sometimes where you're supposed to be playing along to the vocals 
But when there's a string of non-vocal sections, they do just have you kind of beat it out to the to the. Uh, pardon my saying there. That sounded kind of weird. Um, they, you know, they they they. Sorry, they have you rub one out to the to just the vo the like instrument patterns, you know. Um, and it's and, and it's great. It's super fun. Uh, I I I really love the way that these games play. It's like. So symbols appear, um, the other weird thing about the way that these games, like, look and feel is that there's not, like, a track, like in DDR or, like, in Guitar Hero, where all the things come down a linear path and then they hit a spot that you time them on. Oh, in I thought it was, like, a horizontal, like, kind of like karaoke. Uh, so it's not like that either, like Donkey Konga. Um, mm, yeah. this one is, like, the symbols appear all over the screen in like Ooh. a in like a flow though it's not like random or scattered oh. it's like they kind of flow around the screen and do like different shapes and stuff as they go and so you'll see like you know you'll see like a big arc of like circles and triangles right that they're spaced out in a way that kind of alludes to the the cadence of them you know like quarter notes are spaced a certain way and then eighth notes are going to be spaced twice as close to each other as that you know so as you get used to it you can kind of read out the cadence ahead of time uh and so those appear in like an arc and then the actual symbols kind of fly into the screen swooping and then hit them you know on the spot that you hit them you can time it with that. Also, each symbol has, like, a clock wheel on it that when it hits the top, that's when the thing's going to hit it. So you have two ways to time it. Or if you just kind of know the rhythm to the how the vocals are or the rhythm of the song, you don't even need to see the timing mechanism. You just know when to yeah. hit it, you know? Uh, especially because of the way that they space them out really smartly. Um, so, yeah. So it's like it'll be, like, circles and triangles and squares and Xs. And the big thing about it is that you can hit the, that symbol with your right thumb or you can hit, like, the corresponding direction on the D-pad with your left thumb. So if, like, a string of triangles is coming up, for example, you can go, like, triangle up, triangle up, triangle up, like you're alternate picking, you know? Getting the input in. Yeah. Um, and so... So you can do, like, so these games get, like, fucking fast on certain parts, you know? And you're, like, doing these crazy, like, like two-handed... Uh, what game is this? This is Hatsune Miku Project Diva, the series. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, And this game actually taught me how to mash buttons properly. Uh, Because there's a lot of parts where you're, like, where you gotta alternate between your left and right hand very quickly... And so instead of like using your thumbs, like uh, like like lifting up and pressing down your thumbs each time, I've sort of started to hold my thumbs in more of a rigid position and rotating the controller left and right with my hands to do so. Like my actual arm motions are doing most of the most of the motion of hitting buttons now, and it's really interesting. I've never really like hit buttons that way before but these games kind of train you to do it so the way your controller is held the way you were just talking about the way you hold your controller to do that look at it real quick or at least envision the idea of the the, the, the controller scheme now imagine taking that controller scheme that game into the craziest parts and imagine someone doing it 
on both sides of a DDR pad. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've <laughs> that seen has that. to yeah. be a thing. That has to be astounding to watch. Yeah, um, totally. Two things. So you, what you mentioned was, I guess okay. So what I guess the way that you were talking about the, the way that uh, the rhythm goes with Hatsune Miku. It kind of sounds exactly like a mobile game that I played. And to be honest, I can't remember what it's called, but I do want to say Square Enix made it um, for Android and iPhone. But it's uh, it, it, it works almost exactly the same way you said it, except if you were to convert the control scheme to a touchscreen. Like, you do it all with your finger. So, like, imagine, you know... You get a triangle here, a star here, different shapes, that sort of thing. You would draw that on the pattern if that would come up on the screen. And if you and you would also try to do it to the beat of the music. And uh, it would give you a score based on how well you do that. And then, like, in the background, like, that was like a, a QTE. And then in the background, there's like a 3D, you know, your character's moving along and, like, they're running along a field or something, running, trying to jump over different obstacles. So the game changes its kind of genre based on where in the level you are, but it never at one point stops becoming a, a, a rhythm game. It's, it's pretty cool. I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> and I haven't wanted to pick it up since. But the, the five minutes I spent on the toilet with it were pretty fun. Oh, nice. And then I realized then someone else walked in the bathroom. So, you know, I turned the sound off. But uh, I was going to say, that made me think of um, the fact that rhythm games don't really seem to exist too much anymore uh, on, on mainline consoles. And I was thinking about that Final Fantasy game and how it worked so well for, the, for mobile. And I was like, oh, I kind of get how it's like, you know, supposed to be... It works. It just works better in this format than other, uh, like a console. You know, it just works that way. But then I thought about another kind of like variation on the rhythm, uh, rhythm game, which is something that might work pretty well on mobile, but or not. But I don't know. But think of the game Tomb of the Necrodancer. Have you played that? Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yep. Yes, that. Uh, and there's also Cadence of Hyrule, which is like the, from what I understand, the, like the reskin. That's a rhythm game where it's also kind of like an adventure game, but or it, it punishes if you it punishes you if you're not on beat with the way that the world changes. Um, like I think like there could be like a mirror world. I haven't played the game myself, but I've watched a couple of people stream it, and it always seems cool. The music is amazing, and uh, it's like you're playing a Game Boy game, except you have to go with the beat. It's pretty cool. Yeah, what I would say about Cadence of Hyrule is I, I don't think it does it justice to call it a reskin of Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's a totally different game as far as, like, you actually, like, adventure around and go into dungeons. And it's like Wait, do you not do that? I thought you do that in the original game, too. Crypt of the Necrodancer is a, is a roguelike, like, through and through. Yeah. Where you I, just go down floors and every couple floors you fight a boss and then you either win or you die and then you start over. Oh, I thought that you do the same thing in Cadence of Hyrule. Nah, that one's like an adventure game where you actually unlock abilities and get new items. And okay, well, I haven't played either, but I've, like I said, I've seen Crypt of the Necrodancer being uh, done. It's just, it's cool to see how rhythm games have evolved. Like, I never got to play Res either, um, but that was like a weird three yeah. take on it. it I'd like love to play Res. Thing. Um, Res Infinite, I think, is now free to play on. I think it's one of the few things on the PlayStation Network that are 
downloadable now, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not going to be available for much longer because obviously the PS3 said they're going to shut down. Well, yep. it's not only PS3, but it's also Vita as well and PSP. Mm-hmm. Shutting down all the servers for you to be able to get your shit off of there. So, yep. womp womp. So, yeah, these Miku games, though, I really, really like them. Like, I'm, I'm a big rhythm game fan, and they're, they're easily some of my favorite as far as the gameplay goes. Like, once you get into it and you become, like, a fucking maestro on your controller and, like, the, the songs get super fast and super hard, you know, and you're just, like, going ham on your controller, but you're, but you're hitting all the combos, you know, it feels super good to play. And, man, a lot of the songs, like, I'm not, I, I don't listen to, like, Vocaloid stuff uh, on, like, outside of playing these games. But when you're playing them, some of these songs are bangers. And, uh, and, and just generally, a lot of them are really, really good. Uh, the deal with the one on Switch is that it is a, uh, like, a, it doesn't really have very many new songs on it. It's like a mix. It's like a Greatest Hits. You know, there was Project Diva F on PS3 and F Second. There was X on PS4, Future Tone, and then Mega Mix is like the greatest hits, and it's on. Switch. How does it handle? Because you know, Switch doesn't like to do 60 frames. Oh, it does 60 frames. Uh, That's docked. good. Or okay, so docked it does 60. Handheld is kind of weird. The action, the actual rhythm game portion of it is 60, but some of the backgrounds are going to be 30 or a lower mm. resolution. Because one thing about these games is that, like, in the background, I'm talking about the symbols appearing, sweeping over the screen and all that kind of stuff, which I think yeah. is is really important that there's not, like, a track because the backgrounds are super complex. Every Every song has, like, a unique... Uh, uh, dance and and uh, venue to it, you yeah. know, um, like like every song has a totally different look to it. Basically, a background video, you know, but you can customize what your Miku looks like. Uh, so, um, so it looks great, and like I think that the 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 design of the symbols moving around allows you to also see that, you know, you can see the backgrounds and stuff. But yeah, when you're playing handheld, they're kind of they're kind of chunky looking and low frame rate, uh, but at least the rhythm game action part of it stays 60. That's the important part, yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say about the gameplay of it, though, is that so it's in 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 Project Diva X and F, it's pretty basic like what I just talked about. The only kind of thing that it throws in there is that there are besides the regular symbols there's stars that appear and stars you just hit you just flip an analog stick you know you just hit one of the analog sticks in any direction whatever that's how you hit a star right and sometimes there's sequences of those simple doesn't really doesn't affect too much now future tone and megamix add this other mechanic of it where they have slides and slides come from the fact that in the arcade version, you the four buttons that you press are like four big, juicy, satisfying arcade buttons sitting in <laughs> front of you in a line, you know? It's just four big buttons that you smack like like you're playing whack-a-mole, right? And then above it is a is a touch sense bar. So you're you're whacking the buttons and then Have swoop, you played swoop, a Miku you like, arcade game? I've not played a, a, the arcade ones, no. Okay. 
but that's how it works, right? When these, so these ones, they have the symbols and you're hitting the buttons, you're whack-a-mole on the buttons, and then arrows come up that go left or right, and on those you have to slide on the touchpad. And it looks really fun. <laughs> hmm. But um, on a controller, it means that you have to hit the analog stick in that direction. Uh, but that's fine, though. I mean, I still think it's pretty cool. It, it works fine. The the big mechanic, though, um, oh, one thing that the Switch game does have, though, is that so it has a touch play mode where if you're playing it undocked, you can play it like the arcade game where it puts the four buttons on the bottom of the touch screen and then for the slides, you just swipe on the touch screen. So you get a little bit of it and it's pretty fun to do it that way sometimes. Um, <laughs> but okay, so the big new mechanic though in Future Tone is that like this is not in the first few games, but they've thrown this wrench in where now there are hold buttons, and I'm not talking about like a sustain where you have to hold it and then time the release of it. Those are in the other games. Those are fine. This is like the 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 pattern is going to be like X, X, circle, circle, but the second circle is hold, and then it's triangle, square, triangle, square, X, right? And the expectation is that when you hit that circle hold, you keep it held, and then you continue doing the rest of the rhythm game oh, no. while you're keeping that held. I hate it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really fucking hard to do at face value, as in, like, if you just imagine doing that as I just described it. It's like, nobody does that, because it's, like, impossible. So what a lot of people do is they also assign the four face buttons to shoulder buttons so that when the holds come up, they hit that shoulder button and then they hold that while they continue to play. I don't know. I don't really want to do that. What I ended up getting is a keyboard controller for Switch. So it's a keyboard. Those, those exist? Oh, dude. So there's this company, Gamo 2, Gamo 2, something like that. They make a lot of like rhythm game and also arcade style controllers. And they have this one called the K28 keyboard style controller that Whoa. is, it's like a little mechanical keyboard that, uh, that works on Switch and PlayStation 3 and 4 and PC. For those uh, who are listening audio only, it is a, it is not your standard keyboard. It looks like there's a big touch screen in the middle and then there's equal, it's like two space bars, one in the top left and one in the top right. And then uh, not, like, staggered keys at all. They're all just in a square uniform, like, row and column of just yeah. straight-up blank buttons with a, with a space bar at the bottom. So this isn't a touchpad. It just has LEDs that light up and look fancy while you're playing it, and that's all they do. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so so it's, it's like a keyboard where if you had your hands on home row on a keyboard, so you're on, you know, SDF and... IKL. There you go. JKL. <laughs> uh, so you're on home row. It's like you've got you've got like six or eight keys on both of your hands to work with. And you can custom lay these out to whatever buttons you want. And so for uh, this controller has made this game way more fun for me. Because now, and even though on the PS3 ones where they didn't have the hold mechanic, I love playing it with the controller. Like I was saying before, when you're hitting those fast patterns and doing the arm motion, you know, to hit them fast enough uh, and nailing combos, it's really satisfying. But this new hold mechanic, I'm, 
iffy on. If I had to use a controller, I wouldn't like it. But huh. now switching to a keyboard controller, though, it's kind of fun because now I have four or I have three fingers on each hand dedicated to hitting the symbols. And then when a hold happens, you just hold it with that finger and you still have your other fingers available to keep playing, you know, and it makes it work a lot better. Um, I kind of want to try this now. So, it's yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's really fun on Switch. So, yeah, I don't know. If you don't know, there's a Miku rhythm game on Switch. Uh, it's fun. It's got a huge sound library, soundtrack. Uh, because it's like a, th that's the thing is a lot of these games have like 30 to 50 songs on them, you know, this one comes with like 130, uh, yeah. like there's just a shitload of songs on it and it goes from way too easy to way too hard. So wherever you're at, as far as your, uh, rhythm game proficiency goes, you will be adequately challenged. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun game. Um, you know another good rhythm game I've played before um, that I really liked but burnt out on real quick? You ever played... It, it's another mobile game. You ever played, like... Uh, I guess the mainline series was called Piano Tiles? No, I've played Pianista for Switch. So Piano Tiles uh, uses the 9 by 16 aspect ratio of your smartphone to represent four columns of, uh, of tracks, essentially. And uh, the black keys will come down, uh, kind of like DDR, and you just tap where the black keys are when they hit the very bottom of the screen where you'd hit those keys on a, on a piano. So you're holding, your instinct is to hold your phone like this and use your thumbs, kind of like that, hold it yeah. vertically. Um, but then you discover real quick that your thumbs are real slow. So you hold your phone like this, just how you'd normally do it, and like use your, like, all three or four of your fingers like this and uh you'd be playing like classic mozart beethoven uh, the hungarian uh composers russian composers like it's really cool there and it's really good music too and it's obviously copyright free because it's really old music um pretty cool game problem is at least with that iteration of the game that that piano tiles and at least with the phone device i played it on the music was always like maybe like two milliseconds off from the inputs Ooh, and it yeah. drives you fucking crazy even but if it's you're wearing just... headphones oh yeah yeah yeah. It's, it has nothing to do with uh wow. yeah it's just the way the game is programmed um or and or the way it interacts with my particular version of android but um yeah dude it it <laughs> It's it's just slow enough to where you immediately know it, notice it enough for it to for it to to, to royally piss you off, uh, and just fast enough to where you can tolerate it after about ten to fifteen minutes of playing and adjust to it. Um, it's where you don't notice it anymore. But then you try to play another version of the game that isn't fucked up, and you realize it's way better, and you don't know why you're so bad at it. Yeah, <laughs> those are cool so games though. Uh, so on Switch, also, there is a game called Pianista that is, it, it sounds very similar. So you're saying that this is a, a piano, classical piano mm -hmm. rhythm game that has four lanes and the keys come down and you hit them? Yep. So Pianista is the exact same thing, except it's on Switch, and instead of using a touchscreen, the four lanes are left, up, X, and A. 
or as in the top and right face buttons on the controller. And it's so, a wonder that they don't use the touchscreen because that that's like honestly what makes it the most fun. Because uh, you're feeling it in your fingers. You're maybe, getting the tactile feeling. Uh, maybe you can, and I just never tried it. Uh, or you know what? Actually, be pretty cool um, if you could have, which you can because they are compatible. If you could take a fight stick and mm-hmm. have like all the like row, like you know, top or bottom, like just have a whole row dedicated to just. Well, piano yeah. buttons. I mean, you know, badass. you know what makes Pianista on Switch really fucking fun and feel real good? This keyboard controller. Oh, I'm sure that keyboard's <laughs> great too. Yeah. Uh, so here's the other thing about Pianista, though. It also has a six-lane mode that uses left, up, and right on your left hand, and Y, X, and A on your oh, right hand. So it's got six lanes. Uh, that's super cool. My only complaint about it, though, uh, is that. The uh, okay, I love the Nintendo Switch Pro controller. It's pretty much my favorite controller right now. Pretty much. However, uh, its D-pad is not very accurate as far as like avoiding diagonals. You know, mm. so it's really hard to play Pianista with a Pro controller because when you hit up, you're constantly accidentally hitting left or right at the same time and it kind of messes with you all the time uh and that game is really really hard uh you can play it with the joy cons instead because that has separate buttons for up left down and right but then your buttons are really tiny so if you don't want to be like super fast action on those tiny little buttons then you're gonna have trouble with it uh so yeah get one of these tiny keyboard controllers say what tiny buttons suck too yeah so yeah, I don't know, get one of the keyboard controllers. It's great. <laughs> oh, damn it. I was going to ask another question, but I it's a controller related question. I'm going to save it for next week. Oh yeah, we'll we'll have plenty to talk about then. Um so yeah, the the other thing I've been playing the most of right now. Look, I'll 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 have a retro game to talk about pretty soon here, but uh <laughs> Yakuza Like a Dragon. I was talking about a little bit last week. I have I I'm like fully back into that now and it is fantastic uh like it's funny i've quit playing bravely default 2 at this point and i'm just playing yakuza now bravely default made me realize how much i wanted to get back into yakuza uh to Mm. have the great writing again and it's funny um i mean yeah it's just like what i was saying before where it's like for the side quests the actual thing that you're doing most of the time is not any more uh exciting than in other you know than in other jrpgs but like the writing is just so good and so funny uh that it that it keeps you interested in it um like which is kind of funny if you think about it because when they programmed it you gotta i guess you gotta think about it like hey we're gonna make this feel like a jrpg but still be yakuza it's like how many other people have approached a jrpg from that angle they don't they don't go hey let's make this what people think it's gonna be and then also make it crazy yeah well the other yakuza games have the same kind of thing with their side quests they you know they also do it where it's like where it's like your quest is actually just run here and talk to this person now go here and talk to this person or you know or something like that and that's that's all that like your objective on a checklist is uh but yeah it's it's all in in the writing um like man 
So as an example, let me give you an example. This is, this is Yakuza Like a Dragon. So this is the seventh Yakuza game, right? If you're going to play them starting at zero, you're not going to remember this conversation by the time you get there. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, as an example, right, there's this... You're walking along, and there's this persimmon on a tree branch. And you see this girl in a, in a hospital room, or maybe she's out there. I think she's sick and in a wheelchair, and her, like, assistant is pushing her along. And she says something like, you know, they're, they're talking about this dangerous surgery that she's going to have, and she'll, she <laughs> might not make it, especially because she's losing her will to live, you know? And she's like, well, as long as that persimmon doesn't fall, I will hang on too, <laughs> or something, you know? And so, okay, and then your goal is just to come back later at some point, you know? But, okay, so then you go back on your way. But the next time that you come by, you look at the tree, and there's this, like, sumo wrestler in his gear, you know, in his, like, that thing that they wear, you know, sumo wrestlers. He's in that, and he's, like, <laughs> sumoing the tree, you know, like, hitting what? it and stuff. And you're like, oh, shit. So you run over and you talk to him, and you're like, hey, quit, you know, quit uh, quit sumoing this tree. The persimmon's going to fall. And, uh, the and the and the, the sumo guy's like, oh, you don't understand. My partner, he, something happened to his partner. I don't know if his partner got, like, beat up or, ta or like, arrested or something happened to his partner, right? He's got this big competition coming up and his partner isn't around to practice with. He's got to practice for the big competition and he doesn't <laughs> have his partner. He's got to be on the tree. And, you know, the main character's like, can't you just, can't you just use a different tree? No, 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 you gotta understand. This tree here is the one that feels most like my boy. And, like, and so, and so you end up fighting the sumo wrestler, right? And then you Does get him. Win? Uh, you, you beat the sumo wrestler in the fight, you know, for the, mm. for the quest. And he's like, okay, okay, I guess I'll go away, right? And then that's that. And then that's that for a little bit, right? So you go away, you go on your merry way again, and then you come back, and this time, there's this guy with a BB gun shooting at the persimmon, <laughs> and he's got like a, he's got like a scope on his BB gun and stuff, oh, and so you run up to him, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And the guy starts bragging to you about how awesome this new toy gun that he got is. It's this perfect replica, and he's talking about how how perfect of a replica it is and how awesome it is uh and and he's got to be shooting at this persimmon it's the perfect prey for his new gun <laughs> you know so you end up beating him up too you know and it's just this is what i'm talking about where it's like <laughs> it's fantastic <laughs> all the quest is is every once in, like if, if you look at it from a game from a video game checklist basic perspective all the quest is, is every once in a while when you walk by this place, a cutscene plays, and then you have, honestly, an unremarkable turn-based battle with a person, you know? Yeah. But the writing is so remarkable and so great that it's super memorable and super fun, and it makes you want to do it. Uh, and that's, like, what this game is as far as the side quests go. But I'm then, so excited to get into Yakuza. Dude, but then... You get into the main story, and the main story is, like, heavy 
edge of your fucking seat drama, you know, where it's like Yakuza drama and uh, and they do the suspense so, so well. Like there's uh, one of the things that happens very early on, right? So this is super early stuff is uh, you find yourself in um, in a homeless camp. Like you're you're basically you've been saved by uh, by a few people living in this kind of homeless neighborhood. And, um, and then this, uh, guy from the Chinese mafia, at some point, after you kind of make friends with, with your, your new homeless friends, uh, and they kind of teach you the ropes about how to go out and collect cans for money and that kind of stuff, uh, this, now this big shot Chinese mafia guy comes in, and he's demanding, like, basically rent from everyone, uh, even though he doesn't necessarily own this place, you know, maybe it's on their turf or something, but he's coming in as a big shot asking for like, just, uh, bleeding all, all these homeless people dry of the only money that they have, you know, but they're afraid of him. So they have to pay. It's kind of like the bug, the grasshoppers in a bug's life. Um, I was going to say Kung Fu hustle. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. So, so that's going on. Um, but Kasuga, the main character who's ex Yakuza and has like some know-how about this shit sees this happening. Now he's the main character. He's who you're playing as. He's the new person in the shelter that they're just introduced. Right. He's seeing this go down and he's like, this is not cool. Right. That this guy is coming in and taking all the money that these people can barely scrape together. And for what, you know, um, and, uh, and so he starts mouthing off to him, you know, and like, and calling him out basically on probably not being such a badass, you know, and the fact that he's stealing from the homeless essentially, and that he's not a great guy. And people are kind of, oh, you know, it's very tense because people are really afraid of this guy because messing with this guy might mean that the whole mafia is going to come down on him, you know, but he's being kind of reckless and standing his ground and, and really letting this guy have it. And, uh, basically acting like he's kind of trying to push him out of the place, you know? So eventually it does come to that where I think you fight him, you know, you have some fisticuffs and you beat the shit out of him. And then he says, you know, he says like, Oh, you're going to regret this. The whole mafia is coming. Right. And everyone's like, shit, uh, you know, as Kasuga, you're like, my only home is being threatened now and all these people who have just been kind enough to take me in they're all being threatened because of me right but he says you know wait a second you're telling me that you're gonna go report to your mob bosses that you just failed to shake down a bunch of homeless people <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds like that's just going to get your ass on the chopping block because this is pathetic and you're failing at it. Uh, and, you know, and he's just like super straight up, right? And the other guy's like, oh, oh, fuck, you know, and he, he, he doesn't know what to say. And eventually he scampers off, you know, basically saying that uh, that he won't tell on him, you know, because, yeah, he makes a really good point. Uh, but then still though, so, so it's like, oh, you know, tension is kind of released, but the people in the shelter are still like kind of mad at Kasuga just for shaking the cage, you know, and, and like making trouble when it's like, you know, we could have just paid and everything would be fine. You don't have to come in here and be a hero, you know? And so like, yeah, just like the drama 
of that kind of yeah. stuff. I really like. Uh, so it does a good job of actually having serious parts too. Yes, like and yeah, it, it does it so so well of having these wonderful light-hearted things, particularly in the side quests, and then having these really excellent dramatic suspenseful things, mostly in the main quest. Um, and yeah, it sounds I mean, like it's going to be one of those games where I get way too caught up in side quests. <laughs> oh yeah, I, and that's the thing is, it, there's not there's not too many side quests, you know, because they're all so well written that it's not like it's going to, you know, uh, yeah. be too big of a deal. And they're well written, so it's not like you're, you know, it, it's not like you're. Oh, I'm going to take some time off of the really good main quest to do these side quests because you know I don't know it feels good to do them. It's like it's just as good, you know. Right. Um, yeah. My only complaint about the game is that it is, uh, I, it's too damn easy. Like, <laughs> so I think that most. It's a JRPG. I've seen JRPGs be hard, and they can do it really, really, really well. Persona Five, for example, I played on hard mode, and it was fucking fantastic. Uh, the other day, or the uh, you know a few a few episodes ago, I was talking about how Bravely Default Two, the mm. the biggest thing I have in favor of Bravely Default Two that I've been really enjoying is that I'm playing that on hard mode and it feels really well balanced and it's a good challenge, you know. Yakuza Like a Dragon has a difficulty setting that says normal and it is grayed out. I cannot. Put the game on hard mode. They've grayed out the option. I don't know if that means that you have to unlock it or what, but... I hate that. Yeah. I hate that you have to unlock hard mode. So, yeah. So, I'm I'm stuck on normal mode, and it, it makes all of the fighting kind of unremarkable, and it does that thing where I don't have to use all the game's mechanics, where, like... The, the game has, like, a weapon crafting and upgrading system that I could be really into, but I don't have to be because the enemies aren't hard enough. And the game has a job system that I could be more into, but I don't have to because it's not hard enough and the battles are really unremarkable. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been the thing is that it's, like, it's been all about the writing and all about the story and characters because whenever there's a battle there's like it's just there's no tension caused by gameplay yeah. you know hopefully that'll just get harder the the best case scenario is that it'll just get harder as it goes uh how but, far in are you um my characters are all about level 25 to 30 i think out of uh, assuming a hundred, I don't know. Um, but yeah, as far as the chapters go, I'm on chapter like six. I don't know how many hours I've played it or how many chapters there are. That's all I can tell you. I don't really have a good feel for how far I am. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say this: as far as the story and plot is concerned, I don't feel like I'm very far. I don't feel like we're in Act Two yet. All right. So there's hope for the future on that part. Also, like when the game gets into like a dungeon. The dungeons are very unremarkable also. Like, it's just basically kind of a linear path that you run through and there's a fight every 20 feet, you know? A fight that you just kind of do really easily and it doesn't really matter. So, yeah. Oh, that's lame. Yeah. That, so, 
that that's my big gripe with it right now. Is it's still that, very different from a mainline Yakuza game, though, right? Uh, yeah, well, the only thing that's different is when you're in a battle, it's turn-based. Oh, that's the only difference? Yeah, like, every, and, and, like, you know, so the menus are a little different, too, right? Because now you have, like, yeah. equipment is more of a thing and and that kind of thing, right? Um, so, yeah, that you got to go into your menu to heal people every once in a while, right? It's got that to it. But as far as, like, you running around the city and getting into side quests and talking to people and the cutscenes and how they play out and the big exciting story sequences where you're going through a facility and there's fight after fight and there's a boss at the end and the and all that all of that is the same it's just mm. the fights are turn based let me let me ask this so if i wanted to get into yakuza which i do um there's been so many games and so many remakes and so many remasters. What order uh, in what games would you recommend I do? Play Yakuza 0 on PC. Sorry, Zero. I just I just drank some water incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> Yakuza 0 on PC specifically? Not well, on PS4? Or? I mean, it's on PC, so you'll have a better frame rate. You'll have a better resolution. You'll have faster load times on PC. Versus PS4? Yeah. PS4, I would think, could still be pretty s smooth flowing for a game yeah. like Yakuza. It's smooth, but, you know, not as smooth as PC would be. Well, I, you know what's even smoother? The nice, fine, slick plastic of a case in my hand. Uh, okay, alright, yeah, playing it on PS4 is fine. <laughs> oh, I've got one the other complaint about Like a Dragon. Um... So, one thing about Yakuza, this also applies to, like, Yakuza 0. I'm sure it does the same exact thing. Is, uh, so those games jump around doing a lot of different things. There's parts where you're running around. There's parts where you're fighting. But then there's also parts where you sit down at an OutRun machine and play OutRun. Right? Oh, just like in, uh, just like in Shenmue. Yeah. And then there's parts where you sit down and you play some Street Fighter. Or, or, or Virtua Fighter, actually. Then there's yeah. then there's parts where you play a crane game. Then there's parts where it's a kart racer, you know? Like it goes places and does lots of lots of weird things and all of those things have like a different control scheme. There's not like a very mm. easy nice menu of like map these buttons to these buttons universally. Instead, it's like every one of these tasks sort of understandably has to have its own menu. Which means if you want to make any, uh, like, big adjustments to the way that you play games, you kind of can't. Uh, <laughs> it's a huge pain in the ass. Like, yeah. for, for example, I mentioned that the Switch Pro Controller is, like, my favorite controller. What that means most of the time, though, is that when I play a PC game with it, I have to flip X and Y around in the game settings because like for example in dark souls if you play it on playstation you drink estus by hitting square right so when you play it on pc it kind of assumes xbox and so it puts it on what is it on xbox x it puts it on x but i'm on a nintendo controller where it's on top where x is on top so i have yeah. to flip the the i have to flip x and y uh -huh. around right so um, so let me just let me just propose a solution to you. It's really easy. Uh-huh. Don't play on PC. Well, so here's <laughs> the deal. On every game that I've played right now, except for Yakuza, 
Uh, it's been totally fine. I just flipped those two buttons, and I'm on my merry way, and it's great. In fact, it's better than normal, because I actually like A and B to be swapped uh, on positioning, because I'm one of those people where, look, I've played a lot of Nintendo. I also, my favorite PlayStation games are Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII. That means that the confirm button is circle. The confirm button is the button that is the right face button, which is also the A button on Nintendo. It all works together, you know? That so, is true. I think I think Switch brought that back in a big way. So when I play, uh, like, Dark Souls on PC or something like that, I'm playing it where my confirm button in menus is on the right side. It's the right face button. And back is the B button, which is on the bottom on Nintendo, which also means that my dodge roll button is the bottom button, you know, and that works great for me. Knox doesn't know what I'm talking about, but you do. My I dodge fucking hate this. <laughs> it just it's circle, square, triangle, and X, and then everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're right there. However, um, some games use circle as confirm, and that's obviously correct and then most games don't do that in fact sony even betrayed their own kind because a lot of the time <laughs> it was that like japan was circle is confirm and in the u.s yeah. x was confirm and sony has finally decided with the ps5 that universally x is confirm which well, I, they it, went with the flow oh it saddens me so greatly um but anyway you know what they, you know what they could have done they could have made it worse. They could have done worse. They could have actually physically flipped uh, oh, Circle God. and X. Oh, God. <laughs> Here's what they should have done. Uh, there are a few games, like Monster Hunter World for PC, all right? Here is a PC game. You know what that game has? It has an option in the menus that says, would you like your confirm button to be Circle or X? And that is an option. Hell yeah. Well, Final Fantasy VII does that too. Mm, I don't think oh, on PC. It doesn't ask you. No, you can change it in in on PS1. Nah, not on PS1, can you? Really? That's what I did, yeah. On 8 you can, I know. Seven. I don't know about 7. I've seven. never tried on 7 because it was already correct, but on 8 I had to fix it. <laughs> I had to fix it in 7. <laughs> uh, so anyway, though... Um, what what I was getting at though is that uh, so shit. you were think you're talking about how your shit's busted. Oh, um, <laughs> but the, what what Sony could do? Okay, so the PS5 also has this new menu of global game configurations where it there there is this is system level. This is in the. Oh PS really? That's cool. Yes, in the PS5 there is a system settings menu where you can set things like. What is your preferred difficulty mode? What is your preferred Y and X axis inversions? Oh, and God, give me that in everything. I yes. need that. So now games will automatically default to those controls if you have set them. Fuck yes. Sony, put the fucking option in that menu of whether we would like to confirm with circle or x and then everyone is happy i'm surprised they don't i know they built it the infrastructure sense. for it it's like that was the it's like that was the reason and then it's not in there oh yeah. my god 
So my shit's fucked, uh, and so for every <laughs> for every game, I just kind of you know I flip the X and the Y. I don't flip the A and the B, and that works ninety five percent of the time. You know, uh, it's great. Except Yakuza. Yakuza's just got way too many options and shit. And so what I do for that game is I you know what I I I'm I pull a Nox, and I've been playing it with my PS five controller. I don't have a PS5 controller. <laughs> well, my PS4 controller is on the fritz a little bit. I have two uh -oh. PS4 controllers, and they both kind of suck. Maybe that can be something I can bitch about when we talk about controllers, is the fact that both, <laughs> both of my DualShock 4s have gotten shitty from regular wear and tear. Dash, maybe, maybe you just rough on your controllers. Bro, I'm a retro game player, and so I have controllers spanning from the late 80s to current and the ps4 is the only controller and the n64 all right we'll talk about n64 a little bit those are the only controllers i've ever had like wear out yeah They're i was gonna say the um everything i want to talk about is controller related <laughs> <laughs> well i think uh, uh I, th I think actually it's a good time to probably wrap it up and we can think about this stuff for next time let's do it let's do it all right well, yeah. So, so Yakuza Like a Dragon, it's fantastic. Uh, I I recommend it. And then, yeah, if you want to get into Yakuza, I would recommend starting with Yakuza Zero. Uh, if you guys have your ideas, though, maybe put them in the comments or something. You know, let us know if you have a a different idea. Kind of the reason I say Zero is I don't know. That's the first one I played, and it seemed like the perfect place to start. Yeah, well, Zero, I, I it's it's an HD remake of the first two games, right? I think that it's a prequel and that the first two oh. games are called Yakuza Kiwami. Kiwami? I thought Zero was Kiwami, actually. So, okay. So, yeah. So, there's Zero and then there's Kiwami 1 and 2. Yeah. Is, all right. Uh, yeah, so, that's the order to play it in right there, then. Maybe. I mean... Or maybe 1 and 2, then the prequel. I don't know. Maybe. Because, like... I I played Zero and I thought and I think wow that's the perfect place to start you know however never played or seen one or two you know what I mean uh, I am very have you only played Zero in Like a Dragon then yes I have yes. okay okay uh, now right and and so definitely call me out in the comments if that is bad advice because I am definitely not the person who would tell you to play Metal Gear Solid 3 before you play Metal Gear Solid 1 because that's chronological, right? That's fucking stupid. So When it's so far a difference, yeah. There's because, also, like, yeah. because no one's going to tell me to play the first Metal Gear game on the NES to get a sense of the story oh. if I want to play it in chronological order. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, there's a big difference, though, between when you name a game 0 <laughs> versus when you name a game 3. Right, Metal Gear Solid Three is a prequel, but it's still Metal Gear Solid Three. It's still the third one. You know, they didn't yeah. call it Metal Gear Solid Zero, which might more imply that it could be done first. I don't know. Coincidentally, following that theme, Street Fighter Alpha, Alpha Two, and Alpha Three are all part of the Alpha line, which in Japan is called Street Fighter Zero, mm. and they all take place before. Street Fighter 1, which I was going to say is uh, goes along with the thing you said just before that too, which is I would never recommend people 
play Street Fighter to get into Street Fighter. You want to play Street Fighter 2 at the minimum. Like, at the very minimum. You do not want to play Street Fighter 1. Um, that is a rough game. Mm. I won't go into why, but yeah. Chronologically, that you don't need to play it. Street Fighter Zero exists to give you the story aspect of the pre-explosion of the Street Fighter 2 timeline. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Those were some games we played. There was a discussion about figurines. I guess stay tuned next week for when we're going to talk way too... We're, we're going to get, like, like uncomfortably in-depth with... We're uh, going to go all the way down. <laughs> yeah, boiling it down. controllers, yeah. Because controllers, mm-hmm. that's a big subject for me, so that's probably going to take up the whole time. Honestly, probably me too. All right. It's going to be the episode no one's going to want to download. I don't know. If I was, like, I, you know, oh, God, this is just me, but you know, if I was okay, sure. looking at this podcast, I'd be like, oh, shit, they're going to have some bad opinions about controllers, and I'm going to have a lot to say about it in the comments. I'm going to I'm gonna come armed to defend the N64 controller to the death, and then they might be surprised. Well, yeah, you know, at least for that, you won't be, you won't be arguing with me about it, because... I also think that's a good control. Very, very rare that that people agree on that, I think. <laughs> uh, unless right. it's in the other direction. Well, thanks so much for watching, everybody. Uh, you know, let us know what you think in the comments. Also, if you just have, like, an idea of what uh, another topic is that we should talk about, let us know that, too. But thanks for watching for now. Knox, thanks for joining me. I'm Invictus Knox. I can be found at Invictus Knox everywhere on the internet. Dash Retro is Dash Retro. And on uh, Twitter, your Dash Retro TV. That's correct. All right. See you guys next time. Peace, dudes.